and welcome to yet another Redley Retrocast Wrestling Edition. It is episode 88, Peter Pan's First Dance. I quite like this title, Kay. Very nice title. You came up with that all on your own. No brainstorming this time. Yeah, nobody... Yeah, I didn't have to ask for help or anything. My creative genius is just flowing through the ages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Geologist. Yeah, you gotta trust the geologist. The geologist is right. The geologist says so. This is gonna be a fun episode. A lot of huge shows through a variety of pro- uh, promotions get to talk about today. A lot of huge stuff, period. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's uh, we got a lot of personality to throw out there. Maybe talk about some cults going on. Maybe just some, some dissension. I don't know. Something, something little happened in the world of wrestling. About, what about despair? Any despair? No despair. All great. Oh, happy days! Yes. Well, when when you got uh, when you got the first dance for Peter Pan, <laughs> <laughs> the first dance for Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'd be a fun title. Switch it up. Sounds Anyways. way too whimsical the more you say it. <laughs> on this episode, on the agenda, we got an NXT takeover match, the Swan Song <laughs> for oh, NXT no. Triple Mania. It's the next. Yes. Got a lot of AEW to talk, which Robbie from the Crash Rabbit Pod will join us for that one. New Japan had its resurgence show. Dragon Gate is coming off the heels of the great Kobe World double shot at the end of July, beginning of August. Have they been able to capitalize on all that momentum? DDT had uh, their Cork and Hall show with a great tag title match. And uh, one of their biggest shows of the year, Peter Pan, uh, was later. And in the world of Joshi, the world of women's wrestling, we got Stardom's five-star Grand Prix, Cork and Hall. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, coronavirus stuff happened to uh, put off uh, the, the matches that later followed. Tokyo Joshi Pro finished out the Princess Cup. And uh, from myself and a couple other people asked us, Kay, to kind of go over into more, more detail of what we thought over the se- two semifinal matches. Uh, they asked us to go, kind of revisit and go into them, considering we uh, we ended up talking about uh, other topics instead of the matches. And I will oblige by that request because I I also want to talk like about fair. it more. That sounds fair. That was a lot of fair stuff. Yeah, it sounds very fair. And then Ice Ribbon had the their Yokohama Budokan show that finally aired, and we got to watch it, although in uh, kind of cut form, as is Samurai TV, and possibly upon later recording their Cork and Hall show coming up. Yeah. Uh, also on that Budokan show, me and you will have a very uh, interesting discussion. Yeah, I, I suppose we will. And then naturally it's retro wrestling from there. All Japan women's classics episode 51. Uh, we are ending 1991. Uh, New Japan through the nineties continues starting in 1996 on this episode. And the go home show for Slamboree, it is Nitro, May 3rd, 1999. That is always despair. Yeah, did they go home or did they go home drunk? Decide. Uh, well, I, was, I definitely felt drunk watching that show. Did you know, Kay? <laughs> I definitely was drunk watching that show. Yeah. Did you know that they were in Charlotte, North Carolina? Flair uh-huh. country, horseman country, some might say. They told me, uh, they, they told me quite a few times, yes. Only 5,000 people paid were in that quote-unquote sold-out arena. 
of like 13,000. So what you're telling me is I lied. There was no sellout, and everything I knew was just a lie. So the thing to look out for is the next time they go to Charlotte, the attendance is going to plummet. Because <laughs> they're not going to comp two-thirds two of the arena. How do you paper that many people? How do you paper that many seats and make a profit? You don't. You don't, because it's WCW and they're dumb. All right. So let's uh, let's make the plugs. Patreon, Red Leaf Retro Cast. Get uh, Joshi 2010's Journey. Uh, we get uh, we do wrestler rankings where we debate the top fifteen men, top ten women each and every uh, two weeks. Maybe you'll even get some bonus live reaction audio coverage, uh, depending when that comes out. Because a lot of these shows came out the day of, or the day of recording uh, the previous podcast episode. So things like Triple Mania and Resurgence, you got kind of live reaction audio uh, just over on the Patreon dollar fifty tier. And then on the $5 tier, you got your amazing JD Star Reviews, K, and my awesome JD Star Reviews, and my very enlightening LLPW reviews to uh, debunked women's promotions. Debunked means defunct. No, nah, I like debunked. Way better word. Debunked? Oh, the facts were debunked? Yes. We got the facts. We're debunking them. <laughs> oh, the promotion never existed. Spoiler. Spoiler. All right, let's not waste any time. I got some, we got some good wrestling to talk about. So I get to play a drop I haven't played in what feels like forever. So here we go. Never get to hear enough of Valter's music. K, this guy has had like five matches in 2021. Oh, it's about as many as Sheeta? Yes. How many <laughs> dynam- how many dynamite matches has Sheeta had? It might be only five. It might be just five. AEW is <laughs> go about to go statue. through a full pay-per-view cycle without like any Joshi on TV except I uh, do you, um, I guess we'll count Yuka. But she kind of came in for a couple of I mean, of I, I, mean I, I I guess she had one show, one match on Dynamite. Oh, one. It's promotion. <laughs> when it comes to the women. Like it, it, it's gotten <laughs> okay. We'll say we'll save that for AEW. I'm here to talk <laughs> about NXT Takeover, whatever the number is. Dragon off defeats my my man Valter. Okay, I've seen these two face off at least ten times. I always see kind of Valter Dragon off two is like a big deal, and here I am thinking in my head, well. I covered on this very podcast their like trilogy a couple years ago, and I was like losing my mind over it. And then they had another face-off in Progress Wrestling covered on this podcast. So just on this podcast, I've seen them. I've covered them four times, and then a fifth in NXT UK, which is what we watched last year—the crazy empty arena uh, battering match. <laughs> that Although it the was. camera cuts, they made it made it nauseating for me to watch. Well, it makes it very tough. Uh, this match, I don't think was as good as the one last year. Uh, and there's a number of factors that play into it. Um, for me, Dragunov is not, a, was not a credible opponent heading in. And it was strictly t- for, I, I get the feeling a lot of fandom out there just strictly wanted to see them, these two beat the shit out of each other a second time, which I totally understand. So in WXW and progress, and even to an extent, their first match in NXT UK that totally exists, I swear. Uh, 
<laughs> that promotion. No, it doesn't exist. What are you talking about? It never happened. The the story and builds were just so much better in every other match that they've ever had against each other. And to be honest, I felt this match was heading in cold just based on the mat, uh, based on the fact that they had faced each other prior. And I, I never really could can get into a match the same way because it's so ice cold. Now, was this match fucking awesome? Yes, it was, which is why I'm recommending it and talking about it right now. I mean, it's just two two men just sla- just slapping each other's chests as hard as they, as hard as they can. They're judo chopping each other's neck, particularly Dragonoff on Valter. Dragonoff's chest was like beef jerky, just bleeding. It was something straight out of like a Sugiera match in Noah. I know that's a that's a reference for you, but it's a good it's a uh, good I don't comp. Know who that is? <laughs> He's a big meaty man himself over there in Noah. Uh, fifty-year-old meat beater. <laughs> well, I'd say, is he over? Is he? Does he meet the age requirement? He does. He does meet the age minimum in Noah. <laughs> so Dragonoff uh, works the neck. Volter, uh, Volter didn't play like heel enough for me in this one, which is something that factored into uh, his other matches that I've seen, where he slowly turns heel and he starts doing a little bit more heel tactics because the whole objective in his past matches was first he's dominating and then slowly he just wants to keep holding on to the title at all costs it brings more like heat into it and not to mention of course you're in wwe so the camera cuts are atrocious the commentary is atrociously just yelling at you the whole time it's very annoying i had to turn the i had to turn the audio off and that really brought the match down for me uh in a like if this same match was not in WWE's production, like it'd be a match of the year candidate to me. That's how good this was. So yeah, I, it's production could kill a lot of things, can't it? Yeah, it absolutely can. It's it's kind of the same reasoning I have if you uh, if you watch a match that's you know cut by five minutes or uh, we'll get to that <laughs> in Ice Ribbon, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, if you should well. Or like the. Um, the frame rate starting to to bug out. Maybe you can't see a clear enough picture enough. Maybe the audio keeps cutting out. Like ju- there's just why would why would I not knock this match for elements that would I would absolutely knock somewhere else. Something happening somewhere else. But Dragonov finally wins. I did like the finish a lot, where he just beats the shit out of his neck and then puts him in a choke, and Volter immediately taps. That was real cool. Uh, the. Uh, Every time I've seen these guys face K, they somehow always ha- always manage to have a different structured match against each other, leading to a different finish. These two just work so well together. I love them. This be uh, akin to your Mayu Momo, Minami yes. Toyota, Toshi Yamada, where they just have such perfect, pristine chemistry that you can't, in good conscience, foresee them ever having a bad match. Yeah, and it also helps that Dragonoff is an absolute psychopath, and he just—I know—I <laughs> I, I can almost assure you that he just set, tells Volter to just beat the fuck out of him, shoot style with these chops and with these like lariats, and it's—it's it's just super wild. Uh, Dragonoff is a is a madman. Well, one of these days when we go through our Joshi 2010s journey a little bit more, we'll be able to see uh, Rizu Nakajima versus Sukasa, which to me is the greatest pairing one-two in a match I have ever seen. They have Ooh. such pristine chemistry that I just I wish 
so badly to see them wrestle each other again, but I know it will never happen. Mm. Well then. With that, they both said as such, though. Yeah, with that, let's get into Triple Mania here. Triple Mania. I always like watching a good Triple uh, uh, A. Uh, uh, there was a time on this podcast where I would watch like CMLL on Friday nights, and if something, if if like a really really entertaining match would happen, uh, I would kind of talk about it a little bit because I do love Lucha Libre. Uh, hence why I'm a Dragon Gate fan. Hence why I like kind of the the style coming into AEW a lot. I, I, I just love those kind of matches. And with tri- AAA in Mexico, they always have a good three or four big shows a year. And Triple Mania is kind of their, their best one. Uh, they put a lot of their best feet forward. They want just the most fun show that you can you can possibly watch. There's a lot of like gaijins that come in uh, to to wrestle uh, big names. You know, they, uh, there's always, there's the, the main event, like almost always delivers at least from, at the very least from a spectacle standpoint. Yeah. I'm not as uh, well-versed in Lucha as I'd say, like maybe you or a few other people that we know are, uh, to me, it's always something that I pop in whenever you throw it on. I think I watched last year's triple mania. Did it happen last year? Yeah. It happened something, last year. Something a big event. Okay. I think I, I remember watching that with uh, you and a few people in the discord and it's, it seems like it's a lot of fun. It's not something I feel like I could watch regularly. It's like it's like candy, right? Everything's crazy and wild, and like like I think um, Sigma guy I was in the Discord had mentioned it perfectly that lucha isn't something you pay attention to the story or match structure to. It's just a bunch of cool shit happening all the time. And he's not wrong. It's a bunch of cool shit always happening, and it's like candy. You only have but so much chocolate before eventually, like eh, I don't want to eat any more chocolate. I think that's what lucha kind of comes off to me at least. But Dragon Gate and uh, some of the other promotions that incorporate a little more Lucha, they have match structure. And it seems like Lucha is a lot more about wild, crazy, awesome aerobatic stuff, which is great. And it's fun to watch these guys do crazy, flippy, high-speed shit. Uh, but I can't say I would watch this regularly. It's for my own sanity, so I can enjoy it every time I do watch it. Yeah, I, I tried watching some of these things uh, weekly for a time, and it, and it does get tiring. Uh, because the, the a lot of the, the booking and match structures... Uh, it's, loosely structure it gets gets really out of hand and it's like whoa what's it's kind of hard to keep up with so you so the way mexico kind of books things isn't so much about it's all about building blood feuds to begin with i mean we'll get to this main event psycho clown versus rey scorpion i have loved following the story between the two it is so wacky we'll get to that in a second uh the rumble begins this uh the show took place august 14th by the way NGD from CMLL showed up uh, at the end of the match once uh, Mr. Iguana wins. So everyone got their kind of happy, happy ending there with the with a crowd favorite winning the match. And NGD just causes absolute mayhem. They beat the fuck out of this guy. They're the they're a big young heel trio from CMLL because CMLL is imploding right now. It's it's quite stupendous on how just bad this company is just falling apart and. AAA is really reaping the benefits for it. And so is uh, the Mexican Indies. And a lot of these guys are kind of joining AAA 
because of their affiliate with American promotions, AEW, Impact, etc. And they can get they can uh, go for visas now as well to get into yeah, American so work. They mentioned CML imploding, and that makes me a little concerned because, as we'll talk about later in Ice Ribbon, they're having a tournament to decide one of the young Peace Party rookies getting sent over to CML. And that match has already happened. We already have a winner. And I'm very concerned for her well being going into a promotion that's literally on its deathbed and if she could even make it back home safely. <laughs> I think it's okay for now, but all their big stars are leaving left and right. Uh, it won't happen overnight, of course. I think she'll she'll be fine later, but uh, I digress. NGD is a big deal coming into AAA. AAA. Uh, I saw a lot of comps to, like, this is if the New Day showed up on AEW, and I think it's bigger than that because NGD were main event acts in CMLL. They were the main event heels. And to people maybe not familiar more with... Uh, I was va- see I don't watch a lot of CMLL these days. So I'm aware of NGD, but I didn't know like who exactly they were, but I'd absolutely comp this to if the Shield came in to AEW. That's how big these dudes are. See, I don't know who either of those comparisons are cuz I didn't watch the Fed when those people were big. Yeah, but you you know who the Shield are, who who was in it, like what their role was. I know who's in it, but I've never seen it. They were big. With them he- they were a trio heel group in the main event, running wild over everybody. And ah, so the NWO. I mean, may- maybe. I mean, I got. <laughs> well, the NWO was mostly like single stars coming together. This is an absolute trio group. Uh, that's why I make the Shield comp uh, to it. So it's really cool. This is uh, what's weird, though, is they so there was just a new heel faction from CMLL that just joined in AAA. It was um, uh, I can't remember. It's uh, like Azul and and uh, I think I think these are the same guys. Azul and uh, Puma King and company. I think they just joined up with them. That's not something I would do. I would kind of, I, I would have kept NGD uh, separate from the rest, unless there's like this huge babyface group they're doing uh, against them. But tri- tri- AAA, I'm, I'm less inclined to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt they're going that route. But this is a big deal, uh, something to keep an eye on. Perazzo defeats Fabi Apache to win the uh, Reina de Reyes champion. She is a double champion. In, uh, with the Impact title and the AAA women's title. Okay, this match sucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I know a lot of people I've seen now this weird sort of pop-off on Twitter about how Perazzo is so good. She's having a hell of a year. Every match I've seen of hers this year that I've been forced to watch because we've watched some TNA, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she is shit. She is not a good wrestler. <laughs> I don't know what anyone is seeing. I don't know if maybe they're just not used to seeing good women's wrestling, so they're so brainwashed by how bad she is to think she's good. I don't know if they're desperately trying to cling to their favorite promotions, one woman star, desperately to see she to put her up there with the, the likes of Sheeta and other people, but she is awful. She has never been good. She's not a good submission wrestler. She's not a good power wrestler. She sucks at everything. She has to be helped and carried in every match that she's in with somebody with good in this case, Fabi Apache, in the case of Momo in the white belt match, she has to be helped like a child carried along to the match. She is bad. Nothing but awful. 
She was also way out of her element here with all with the heel ref shtick that's always in Fabio Pachi matches. She was lost. She was yes. lost. She didn't know what to do. It made it worse. She she's just a bad wrestler. I, I don't want to hear any more that she's great. She's having a hell of a year. She is dog shit. I wouldn't go that Brent far. Baker. I think she's painfully I'll take average. Over her. <laughs> take Brett Baker over her. At least Brett Baker cuts an interesting promo. Get her those promos. Feel like they're straight out of the Divas era still. Like I said, I think Perazzo is painfully average, and she needs to. She definitely needs a lot more development. What's so? I have a theory, and uh, the theory is when it comes to Western women's wrestling and mm-hmm. the masses, they're just the what what the exposure to who they have is so limited because they don't watch. Uh, outside of WWE, AEW, and Impact, that whoever is presented as the top star in that division is de facto the best because they're being told they're the best. And I don't knock them for saying that. It just gets... I, I, I get what you're saying, Kay. It's kind of like irritating when you see people say, like, Deanna Perrazzo's one of the top women in the world, and we know for a fact that's not true. <laughs> like it's not, not even, even close. Top, she's not even the top hundred. She's not even the top hundred. Like I think rookie's better than her. But in a kayfabe world sense, she is one of the best. Just in the, just in that kind of bubble world universe that they're in. Because in like if AEW had any sort of, if any of these promotions had any sort of uh, actual booking knowledge of how to what to actually do with these women and put them in matches for them to shine uh but but that since that doesn't really exist i mean the day the day i have data that shows that it doesn't exist in any promotion (laughs) yeah it baffles me that that's the case because i don't understand how it's hard to book women's wrestling when you can book men's wrestling and that's one of my big criticisms for AEW. is like you can't book stories for the women but you can book for the men just do the same thing you're not having to change anything just have the same sort of templates with your stories it's just that simple it's like you have to make it tailored to their gender. You don't. Pan has told us one thing is that you could do the same story the men do with the women and it works just as well. I mean, you see it with AJW all the time when we go on the, those journeys. They're, I mean, they're just just have them wrestle each other. It's not it's not this this complicated, difficult thing. And uh, so anyways, we got off on a tangent there. Sure did. Triple A World Tag Team titles. This match was fucking awesome and fun. Lucha Bros retain over. Brian Cage and Taurus, uh, and another amazing team, Lojantes del Era, Vikingo and Laredo Kid. Oh my God, this match was a blast. This was a whole lot of fun. So this is what you when you when you've told me that Dragon Gate's like Lucha Dragon, like Lucha meets Japan sort of style wrestling. Yes, especially the tag matches. I was like, yeah, sure, I can, I can imagine this being a wrestling. I, dude, every time I watch lucha matches, tag team matches, you are so like, they're in like a different stratosphere because they're like rolling in and out. I don't think even the ref knows who's legal. I don't think the ref even tries to care. No, nah, like, it doesn't matter. It's whoever's out, in the in ring. And out, in and out. <laughs> it is so funny. I'm like, and so because at one point I think somebody tags somebody. I'm like, what's the point of that? Don't tag. Just just get out of the ring. Just roll out. Why, <laughs> why are you bothering? Why are you tagging him? Why are you tag- I think it was Brian Cage that did it. I don't know if he did it as a joke or what, but he tagged in his partner. I was like, why are you doing this? Just roll out. 
it's it's yeah. nuts. It's the whole it was a whole lot of fun though, and the Lucha Bros are God, they're so good. Yeah, and uh we're gonna talk about AEW here where they're uh they had like a four and a half star match on Rampage, <laughs> which is pretty pretty nuts. But yeah, Lucha Bros, uh Vikingo Laredo Kid, like if AEW can bring uh Hiantes Del Air, Vikingo and Laredo Kid into AEW to like feud with the Young Bucks or Pentagon and Phoenix. Like just back and forth however you can. Just make it happen. Uh like they don't have to go over. I just want to see these guys flip in the air and just go nuts in like, oh I don't know. What what's a what's a stupid random town we could name? Like Phoenix, Arizona or some shit. <laughs> Poe Talc, Missouri. <laughs> Is that a real place? I don't fucking know. No. Right. <laughs> I imagine it's not. I mean, what a real place? I mean, they're supposed to come down my my area, my neck of the woods here at some point. So maybe just do it there. I'd be down to watch that shit live. Yeah. Uh, probably the worst match on the show next to the women's match was the La Impressa. Oh, that's the team name. Azul, Puma King, and Sam Adonis. That's the team. La Impressa. God, it's right here in my notes. They defeat Chessman, Murder Clown, and Pagano. Emperor, Ten minutes. The Empire? Yeah. Empire? Yeah, they stole New Japan's gimmick. Nah, it's name okay. Thing. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, his match was pretty bad. Not good. Uh, Kenny Omega with Conan in storyline. Hey, dog. Defe- yeah, defeats Andrade and Ric Flair. What world is this? <laughs> I don't even know. We see these people these two on Nitro. <laughs> yeah, Conan and Flair. It's so wild. And now we're in there like 2021. I don't want to say counterparts, but let's just say it for fun. This was K. I had a blast watching this match. It was great. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what it is about Kenny Omega, but he's able to adapt his style to whatever place he's wrestling. He wrestled a lucha match. This man is nuts. He can wrestle a lucha match. He can wrestle a normal TV match. Motherfucker can wrestle a stiff style Japanese style match. <sighs> He can do comedy DDT stuff if he feels like it. Right, it's like how anyone he can cut a promo in Japanese. In he can cut a serious promo in Japanese. He can cut an English promo. He can cut a goofy English promo with his wacky did character. He, did, did, did he cut a Did he cut a promo in Spanish? I don't recall that one. I don't know. I feel like I remember that. But either way, how nobody is calling how people doubt he's best in the world. You must be high. Yeah, the the guy the guy is having a banner year. It is just. One of, one of the best runs I've seen, and he's just doing it in multiple promotions. Uh, he, like, Andrade still has some of this WWE stink on him, where he he wants to <laughs> wrestle this. He He's, like, too tranquilo at times, right? Yeah, so in the yeah. ring, he gets kind of slow, and he wants to kind of parade himself, and it's definitely not rubbing people the right way. Well, when you're in the ring with Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega is going to make you fucking work. <laughs> it's like the Rich Swan match. And boy, did he. It's like the Rich Swan match from from uh, earlier this year, where it's like, Swan, I know you're blown him? up, but you're going to fucking go anyways. And this is what he was doing off uh, with Andrade. He, Andrade didn't want to move. Well, if you're not going to move, I'm going to slap the shit out of you. <laughs> if you're not going to move, I'm going to break your back on this barrier and throw you in the audience. And that's like... The more the match went on, the more Andrade kind of got more loose with the situation. The guys bulked up a lot, so I'm not I'm not sure if that's kind of playing into uh, a factor of his uh, doing more lucha libre and kind of wanting to do more of a I don't want to say stiff style, but a more power style, 
which is which um kind of reminds me of a young Conan actually when you watch like old AAA stuff from his I've heyday. I've only seen K Dog get blown up in five minute matches on Nitro. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying uh, Andrade is that, but I I definitely don't buy into this being worried about Andrade thing. They had they they he has everything he needs in AAA, and I. Do enjoy the fact that Omega retained the title here, uh, even if it was under like just ridiculous terms because it's triple A is like, OK, so Ric Flair gets in the ring. Uh, Andrade is like chopping him with Ric Flair and Kenny Omega. There was a kind of little botchy moment where Omega has the title and he wants to hit Andrade and Flair's like late grabbing it from him. But whatever. He's like 70 years old. Not worried about Ric it. Flair's like ancient. Yeah. So like, I'll forgive the old man here and. Uh, it was it was just super wacky fun. Uh, Andrade, the idol, and Ric Flair have have Omega and Conan in double figure fours, and the ref gets up and he's like, "Dude, what the fuck's going on? Get out of here!" <laughs> hey, old man, get the fuck out of here! What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, so I, I I had a I had a blast with this with this match. Uh, and since Omega retained the title, the prospect of him still having matches down the line against guys like Vakingo and Laredo Kid, uh. Or a rematch with Larry. Oh, you know what? The Psycho Clown. Psycho Clown and Vikingo. Like, those are the two matches I'd, I'd, I would just love to see uh, Omega face. And then you can run this uh, Andrade bat match back at a later date. And for Mexico, make a little bit more money with it. I mean, I guess at this point, right? But you reminded me that fucking... Kenny Omega had a match with a, a guy who was a corpse. Like most of it. Like he carried his swan, picked his body up and moved him to the spots. Yeah. And then here, here, I think the words you used was he he's beating the fed out of him. Yes. <laughs> that was the words I used. <laughs> so, you know, here he is. He's like, listen, it's, you're going to hate me now, but I'm doing you a favor. I'm going to beat the fed stank out of you. And hopefully by me forging you in the irons here, you'll become a better weapon, a better tool later. Yeah, and there was some really cool uh, flash moments from Andrade. So I think I think he's just he's just getting more comfortable in his in his new skin away from away from the Fed. And then a really fun, just wacky, hardcore main event. Psycho Clown defeats Rey Scorpio, and he keeps his mask, uh, shaves his head. Psycho Clown came out with his sister, uh, Goya Kong, uh, big woman. Is it his sister? Or was it his wife? It's his sister. Okay. Yeah. Well, I only know about Goya Kaga. She's a bad wrestler. Well, yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Psycho Clown's uh, father just like recently passed away. Super Porky, and he came out with his giant jacket and like he was supreme babyface. Psycho Clown is Mister Triple Mania. Like this, this dude is just super wacky, super fun. He's a big, big babyface hero to the masses. Okay, I, I know you haven't been following this just just wacky story, but it's all like you can follow it on Twitter and Triple A's YouTube. It's like it's Psycho Clown. Oh, tell, it to me. tell it to me. Okay, so Psycho Clown and his sister are like hanging out in a park and shit, just random places. And just all the time, Rey Scorpion and his his group of thugs just like show up out of nowhere and beat the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> a convenience store hey motherfucker fight. yes it's it's kind of exactly like that but in mexico and it's it's super wacky it's super funny and it led to this mask versus hair match situation and uh it's hardcore stuff and there's a lot of interference on the outside a lot of brawling i mean fuck goya kong because it's triple a turns on psycho clown uh right at the end and psycho clown 
avoids getting pinned and then pins Rey Scorpio and it's it's the big like hero moment situation despite getting uh betrayed and Goya's like oh fuck I betrayed my brother shit what do I do and eh, it's triple A don't worry about it <laughs> or like I'll forgive you next week <laughs> yeah and I really got a kick out of Rhea Scorpion's hair they were unable to cut it it was hysterical his hair was too strong <laughs> he had too much man <laughs> his hair was too strong man too strong for them blades I love it bring the shears in yeah fuck so his daughter was tasked with trying to cut the hair the scissors either weren't sharp enough or his hair was too strong i like to think of the latter so then they had to bring out these massive shears where they kind of had to saw his hair off this is so wacky <laughs> it was awesome it was the visual was like yeah this is wrestling right here <laughs> yeah so triple mania really fun i really hope this leads to a psycho clown omega match and fuck put the title on psycho clown if that's the case I think it'd be really cool. You, 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 so you say you want a clown to pin a clown? Hey! Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, that does it for the long kind of recommended matches. If you can't tell, I recommend watching Triple Mania. At least a good and chunk Don't watch it. it sober. It's even more fun when you're not sober. It's great. With that, we'll go into AEW. <laughs> All righty, our little journey here has brought Robbie to us to talk some AEW for the first time. Hello, thank you for having me. Very happy to have you. Kay, are you happy that Robbie's here? I'm happy that he's here. We're getting a double dose of him because he's going to be on for TJPW later in the show as well. This is good stuff. Uh, the Tooge? The Tooge? Of course. Yeah, talk of the Tooge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just heard Cult of Personality. A song I never thought I'd hear again in wrestling, to be honest. I wonder whose song that might be. <laughs> yeah, some some nobody, some some non needle mover. You see yeah, some... <laughs> some 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 scrub off the streets. Yeah, Robbie, how what is your fandom with one CM Punk? Okay, so I don't know if it's a. I doubt it's a secret between you guys, but I'm very young. So I have heard of when this I rumor, got yeah. In... yeah, yes, um. When I got into wrestling, CM Punk was a name that I've heard of. Like, I, I was very young, and he was basically on his way out. I think at the time he was, he had just left the, the Nexus, the, or the, like, the new Nexus. Mm -hmm. But I distinctly remember uh, watching him come out on Raw one day, and he sat down cross-legged, and... He spoke, and at the time, I didn't really know the gravity of what he was talking about and sort of the situation that surrounds it. Come to find out years later that the promo that he cut was arguably the most, like, the biggest promo that has been cut in history. So I actually didn't realize that I got to see the pipe bomb as it happened. So that was really cool. But for me personally, um, CM Punk, uh, I did... Uh, watch his stuff when he was feuding with Jeff Hardy. I want to say around like twenty, not or like two thousand nine, around that period. But um, 
I really liked his stuff, and me, like, I don't really see, or I don't really revere him as much as some other people do, just because I didn't ha go through that period of time where WWE was kind of sinking and... Sorry about that. My computer kind of uh, had a meltdown there. Robbie, you were talking about uh, Jeff Hardy and CM Punk and whatnot? Yeah, I was just saying how, um, like, I really like their feud and the work of CM Punk. Uh, it was always sort of like a mythical name in the wrestling world. It's whether or not this guy is going to come back to wrestling. And I saw many people leading up to um, the first dance basically dismissing the entire thing, even though AEW is clearly teasing uh, the arrival of CM Punk. And just him appearing uh, on Rampage, I don't even know how to describe the feeling that I felt, because I probably wasn't anticipating CM Punk as as a lot of people were, but just seeing him appear, it was very surreal, and... It was crazy that we got to see him appear after, what, like seven years, so. It's, it was an all-time wrestling moment. Like, there's no doubt Definitely. about it in that mind. And what's just monstrous about it, Kay, you, you had your kind of reservations about the guy, and I was kind of explaining, I was trying to, like, explain what he meant to the company and what he means to so many wrestling fans, and fucking 14,000 people in the United Center, I think answered that question for me because that was just the, the decibel level was out of this world. You could barely even hear the song. People were screaming so much. Grown men were crying. Okay. They were. They were. <laughs> well, like you said, I had reservations. It's not that I just didn't comprehend the big deal. It was because so unlike Robbie, when I had when I had stopped when I had started watching wrestling it was in the nineties, and then I stopped right around the time that like two thousand nine, two thousand ten ish, and I didn't come back until years later. So I missed the pipe bomb, I missed the Nexus, I missed all of that. I didn't come back again. So way later, I think the Rock Cena, uh, sort oh, that of nonsense WrestleMania. That that was when I came back, and and he was wrestling Jericho in the the semi main. And that's all I remember of him is, oh, hey, this guy's a champion. Okay, cool, I guess. But I wasn't rooting for him. I was rooting for Chris Jericho because I was a big Jericho mark. Uh, I, I just didn't uh, get, like, same with uh, Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson, whichever name he's going to go by. Like, I didn't see his rise because I had stopped watching. The company was so unbearable for me that I just stopped watching. I missed all of this. So when, seeing that, seeing that reaction made me comprehend the gravity it was of him showing up. Yeah, and it and it feels like where we're heading. I, I really hope Adam Cole does sign with AEW. I think he's kind of he feels like a pivotal piece, kind of in the whole elite spectrum uh, with that group. And him missing is still is still that little bit to kind of take them as a group over the edge. And then the combo of CM Punk and Brian Danielson is to me it's like the the company is filling a hole that is really taking them into let's face it I in my opinion actual competition with WWE not in the financial sense that's a nonsense conversation to have I'm more talking about in the wrestling fandom sense uh the 
even even a rating sense to the ex, uh, the extent of what we saw in the ratings. I don't know, Robbie, what your extension is with uh, wrestling ratings and attendances and whatnot, but um, like the rampage number was astronomical. Like we all had, or at least people that care about the, that stuff, uh, we all had expectations of like maybe eight hundred and fifty thousand, maybe a point three five in the demo. You know, on the on uh, in the mid to high end of that. And then when it, when the Rampage rating came back, uh, and even the Dynamite one the week after, uh, for a show that wasn't really built as anything special, it was just kind of like a special elevation type show. I think we can all agree with that last Dynamite. It wasn't bad, but it definitely wasn't really any good. Uh, like 1.2 million people bought those nights. They're getting their highest ratings ever. The demo is just out of this world, like, I think it was, what, a point five eight. that's above Raw numbers, that they beat SmackDown in, in a lot of these categories, and that's how much, like, not just CM Punk, but what we'll see is Brian Danielson means to the wrestling spectrum, and they are bona fide superstars that never had a company behind him, and I spoke about this with UK, how... Chris Jericho kind of never had the company fully behind him. He was, no, he was they never were. No, right. This is this is the first company that's fully behind him as the main event act, or at least part of that like top three. And it's it's pretty amazing to watch a company that's only two years old do something like this and be able to do it well, uh, not just from the financial backing standpoint, because that's really important, but also getting this momentum with fans. And I think the last couple weeks has finally solidified them with doing that with a lot of fans. Uh, Robbie, do you, do you uh, feel the same way? Do you get that same kind of vibe? And uh, uh, I guess just kind of go with that for what you want to say. Yeah. AEW is very hot right now. It's, a lot of discourse about the promotion. It's going to be kind of interesting to see what these next uh, couple months are for the promotion, uh, mainly because we're having a lot of big shows all out, uh, the Arthur Ashe show in New York, but at the same time, we're apparently having a lot of surprises come in. Daniel Bryan, uh, Ruby Soho, Different people coming in. Uh, it's going to be interesting where they place uh, on the sort of AEW roster and how the shows are going to be presented to these to newer, more broader audiences. Although, that being said, it, it's a little bit, it worries me a little bit because AEW, they only have two shows Dynamite, they just got Rampage. So, I'm a little bit concerned of how they're going to balance all of this influx of talent because you're not just going to have one like one big portion of the roster just stuck on dark and dark elevation. It's like I'm very interested in how they're going to rotate uh, who's on what show and how everything is presented in that sense. Yeah, I mean, too, with that, uh, I find that to be uh, where I kind of concerned with, but I. I almost feel like they need one more show to balance to really balance it. I just don't know how that would work. 
Well, that's kind of elevation. It, it seems that they're going to balance the like their idea of balancing the talent and the shows is sometimes they will sell Rampage tickets as its own show, not on the back end of, say, a Dynamite. And then occasionally you'll have that Dynamite Rampage, maybe elevation. So you have a four hour uh, recording show and there's news that just broke yesterday that Dyna, uh, not Dynamite, Dark is going to be moving to Orlando Studios uh, to do tapings that way, which I think would be a really cool developmental show. Yeah, I could see that being a very good, like, um, Japan Strong kind of thing, right? Maybe have its own little storylines going on within that promotion. Or yeah, much easier to balance promotion. what yeah, they want to so do. I... I'm going to steal a quote from a famous booker, Jerry Jarrett. Pro wrestling is not that complicated. It's not. And I think we're starting to see... Did he really say that, or are you making things up? Listen, I heard Brian Alvarez say that he said that, so I was going to take Brian Alvarez's quote mm. from that as truth, because that's... Listen, from you, you doubt Brian Alvarez? <laughs> I Don't you say Brian Alvarez might have lied about a Jerry Jarrett quote? I don't know. It seems really strange to kind of pull that out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I, I just listened to a Brian and Vinny show where they talked about this. So, um, cause they're talking about like a Memphis wrestling show or something. Oh, Memphis is like uh, nonsense. It is crazy. Right. But it's like, so as much as both you and I, JD have given, uh, AEW crap for some of the heel heat finishes and stuff like that. We, you know who the heels and who the babyfaces are. People get organically over, like Hangman Page, like Darby. They're not having to push them for us to get them, for them to get over. They're just getting over, and they're going with it. And I think Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy is a good example of that. He's gotten over organically, and the fans like him. So why? What do they do with them? Well, instead of just keeping them where they are, they're pushing him into other segments. They're having him have singles matches with Christian Cage having him in tag matches, they're, they're presenting him more, right? Darby got over organically. What do they do? Put him with Sting. Put him up in singles matches, big-time matches. Have him have BTNT champion. I like that they do that, whereas what I've always understood about the Fed over there is that they shove in your face who they want you to cheer for, and if you don't, they continue to shove them in your face, hoping that you'll cheer for them one day, which is, I'm assuming, is why excuse me, Punk and Brian are so well-revered because people liked them and they just never were presented like they should have been. Yeah. Like, again, pro wrestling's not that hard. And I feel like AEW's proving that. And you mentioned that they can't compete with them financially. And that's that's true to an extent, given those giant, massive-ass TV deals that eventually will run out. Um, but I think in terms of the, the mind share of wrestling, I think we're starting to see AEW gain ground. I think that's more important than any financials will be actually... Because long-term, when more people think wrestling, they think AEW than WWE, that's a big boom for AEW. I have coworkers asking me about CM Punk who don't watch AEW. Bro, I was out last night uh, getting pretty sloshed uh, with Pretty Girl, and uh, these things do happen in my life, uh, contrary to uh, belief. The geologist uh, does talk to other people besides you guys. and (laughs) Talk to rocks, I hear. Uh, well, I mean, the, the the rocks speak to me sometimes. But that's that's when it gets weird. Yeah, we don't we don't talk do about say, those nights. Do you mention that you're a geologist? Oh, uh, come the on! Rocks. It's a it's a very humble brag. You go, oh, <laughs> I'm a geologist. You got to trust me here. I'm a very smart guy. <laughs> you see, Mister Granite, I'm a geologist. Mr. Oh, that'd be a cool. That'd yeah, be a cool CM Punk is name. great and all, but did you know that I'm a geologist? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
But so I, I was um, I just kind of nonchalantly made a uh, made a comment about uh, I was like, oh, it's like wrestling. OK, it was like just something totally off topic and uh, how people kind of present things in their own way. And it gets wacky. And I go, oh, so kind of like wrestling. And she goes, oh, exactly. And the bartender just randomly goes, oh, you guys watch wrestling? I haven't watched wrestling in like 10 years, but CM Punk is back. Did you hear it? And I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> It was like I people like that at work. It was it, weird. Yeah, and then no joke, uh, the girl and two people next to us also started talking about CM Punk. Like his name is very well known, and people want to talk about him. And the conversation then stemmed into, uh, so he's back at WWE, and I go, no, he's back. He's an AEW, a new company, and they go, oh, I got to check that out, and and. This isn't just the only example. I'm listening to like Giant Bombcast, and they just go on this big tangent about CM Punk, and it's on Forbes, like it's on all of these outlets. You go to ESPN, and in their WWE section, there's CM Punk front page with AEW. Like so, the the more, and this is what AEW, this is their hardest part is breaking through this notion of wrestling is just associated with WWE. And we saw last week on Dynamite in Milwaukee where we felt the crowd was when you went, and this was fa the fascinating thing I was paying attention to. And I don't know if you guys caught this is when they go to visit these towns for the first time and they're not, you know, kind of a big city, a Houston, a Chicago, a New York, you go to a place like Milwaukee, I know that it's only like 45 minutes away from Chicago proper, but it's still a different crowd nonetheless traveling. And when you see the crowd react and how they react to certain things where it's only the finishes, only the entrances, that's a WWE crowd. And they have to then break, and this is something I bring up all the time with UK, is they have to break the commonality and training that WWE has had over the last 20 years. And I don't know about you yeah, guys. It's very important to do that too. Yes, and I don't know about you guys, but in my fandom, this company has like ruined wrestling the past twenty years. And when I when when I see someone like a CM Punk, uh, Kenny Omega and company, and they take a they do a nice little jibby jab uh, in the in the kidney uh, of of mentioning Vince McMahon in a in a promo, or just saying I left wrestling in two thousand five. I was no longer a professional wrestler. I love that shit because I, as a fan, am angry at the other company because of how they've treated wrestling. I, I don't know if you guys have felt the same way. Uh, I can't say that I have, but that's because when I was watching wrestling, it was it was WWE. And I, to be completely honest, I was so much of a mark back then. I didn't know what dirt <laughs> sheets were. I didn't know what dirt sheets were until like 2008, 2009, which is coincidentally when I stopped watching. Um but it's I didn't know what any of that stuff was, so it wasn't like it. I was your your basic bitch casual, right? Basic that's kind of what I was. Casual. <laughs> so that's what I was. So I didn't think they were ruining wrestling. It was that's better what be I was careful, just wrestling. Kate, it might become your new name. <laughs> don't, don't you fucking dare! Don't you dare! The BBC, you're, you're the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate you so much. I'm gonna tweet that right now, actually. Oh, <laughs> God damn it! Uh, but the K I, stands I, for I, casual. Ah, oh, the oh, BBK, casual, okay. basic like, bitch okay. K. I hate you so much. I hate you so Make much. that. Uh, 
damn it. I walked right into that, too. Uh, but no, it's I didn't see it any other way because I didn't watch TNA. I didn't watch Ring of Honor. I didn't even know what the indies were. Like, I bought a Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine because John Cena was on the cover, and I didn't know who any of the motherfuckers in there were. I saw Samoa Joe and didn't know who that was. That's kind of where I was at. I'll, to, to piggyback off your story about people at the bar, though, uh, what's it say when the coworker that that approached me about it wasn't my barber? I have to be con- I have to be clear about that. <laughs> wasn't your barber? Oh well, I mean your barber is just telling you about different stuff now. I assume, right? You're, you're he tells he tell, he tells me about Becky Lynch uh, uh, squashing a champion <laughs> in the second biggest show of the year <laughs> and turning oh, heel. Right, right on her return. <laughs> okay, so the, all right, so we're gonna pivot. We're gonna pivot because we we did oh, okay. watch we did watch some of SummerSlam. Okay, Robbie, did you watch any of that show? Uh, what's a SummerSlam? Okay, good answer. Uh, about it. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. Like you, Kay, you were mentioning Darby Allen, and uh, he's a young guy, and CM Punk in his promos keeps talking about the young talent. Hell, the first thing he mentioned was uh, Britt Baker in Pittsburgh. Like that was the first thing, and the first, the very first match he's having after seven years, he's with Darby Allen. He's not with Kenny Omega getting a title shot right away, and. <laughs> Maybe this is going out on a limb. He's not going to squash Darby Allen in three minutes or less on their, big, sure on their, on their second to biggest show of the year. <laughs> That'd be bad if he did. And you turn this around to what happened at SummerSlam with Bianca Belair. She's the Royal Rumble winner. She's the WrestleMania main event winner. And comes SummerSlam after just a couple months, I guess four months, of having the title. Very mediocre with the booking. Becky Lynch comes back. And squashes her in 28 seconds. And this, the, these are the things why the other company gets the reactions they do and why AEW is in the position where it is. We have faith in the promotion where they're going to have a, the best match possible with Darby Allen. They're not going to screw him. You don't think he's going to be pegged as a mid-carder for the remainder of his time. While you turn around and watch what happened to a B- Bianca Belair, and it's... These reactions lead to the lead to fans being angry at the company, and you don't want that. No, you definitely don't. Uh, but so I wanted to, to finish up my story because I thought it was a very interesting how the coworker knew about CM Punk, not because he watched the WWE or CM when CM Punk was wrestling. No, no, no. This is like a new fan, like 2016 new fan. Okay. Right? Chance. Oh, the chance. Constant CM Punk chance was how he knew oh. what a CM Punk was. And he got so curious when he found out he was back in AEW that he is starting to tune in because he wants to know what the big deal was, why these guys getting all the chance. Does there that tell you? Because I imagine he's not he's not an outlier. I imagine there are people that have only heard the chance and are not like, I'm gonna figure out who this guy is now. Yeah, think about that. WWE has been trying to get rid of that chant for seven years. They and have he, it. It's and just he shows up there. in the other company. <laughs> <laughs> and they're still getting the chant too, by the way. We saw it at SummerSlam. They're still getting the CM Punk chant. It's nuts. Uh so some of the matches that kind of stood out uh to you guys. Robbie, what what's your what's your opinion over kind of the five labors of Jericho, how it kind of ended with uh tapping out to MJF and leading into what I saw coming a mile away was the career on the line match at all out. Labors of Jericho. Now, uh, I agree with you when it came to like the sort of Jericho putting his career on the line. Um, I've enjoyed the labors of Jericho. Um, it's been quite a f- filled with surprises. 
for me personally, it's been very interesting because it's sort of given me exposure uh, to wrestlers that I was uh, unfamiliar with, like Nick Gage and his sort of deathmatch style and the whole, uh, I think it's GCW, that's his home promotion. Yes. Um, that was like one of the first exposures I've ever seen of that sort of match uh, and Nick Gage, and it was very fun. And also, um, uh, his match with Juventud Guerrero, um, I've never seen WCW. So, um, you spring trouble, you spring child. <laughs> it might be for the I, I best. Console- <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard some, I've heard some stuff about that, but, um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I will say though that the, it, it's weird because it, it began with Sean Spears and then it basically transformed into almost like a Chris Jericho career retrospective or something, like, uh, or something like what Jericho wants to do, like, wrestle a deathmatch uh, with a deathmatch le- legend, uh, wrestle uh, one of his oldest rivals. And then it kind of just came back to Wardlow and then MJF. And I, I was a part of that group that actually thought that the labors of Jericho uh, was actually going to lead to the match with MJF and not uh, be a part of the match, if if you will. But I've enjoyed it. Uh, I do. I am glad that uh, MJF defeated Jericho. You know, it's putting over the young talent. Um, I was expecting Jericho to put his career on the line, and I think that they're going to have an emotional match at All Out. Do you think, um, do you believe that, uh, what's the what's the question I want to ask here? It is, uh, Chris Jericho, do you think his wrestling has kind of come to an end and why you can kind of buy into him losing the match? Or do you think the story is the story can only go he has to he has to win this match? I'm a little bit uh, on the fence right now um, because I'm not sure what his like Fozzie dates or whatever or where they're scheduled or not what, but it does seem believable that Erko could lose. Although he's what like he's lost three matches against MJF now, so yeah. it does seem that he needs a win. So. But I can definitely see Jericho, you know, he's been wrestling for a very long time. He's been a very big part of AEW. He was their first world champion. I can see him putting him over, but I feel like the story would need him to need him to win. Because yeah, for I feel the same way. All that has just been him losing. Damn, of two minds with it. Uh, I'm of the the mind where you guys are at, where the story dictates. Well, of course, he's gonna get his win back in one case, and I and I so as far as say that Wardlow might accidentally cost MJF the match, and that might just further the tensions there because you gotta have something set up after Jericho. I think you can set that up after Jericho. I mean, there's no reason why you can't, right? It would uh, keep it would keep MJF mind. hot and in a in, in an immediate program uh, out of the world title picture. Right, because I don't think he, he. I mean, he's taking the belt off of Hangman Page. Hangman wins it. Like, he's taking the belt off of that man. That he's the next champion after Hangman. That's my prediction, at least. Probably I can say um, that. But uh, and then the other mind I'm at is like, well, I think I mentioned this to you, uh, JD. I've been a big Jericho fan since as far back as I can remember. Right when I when he debuted on on Raw, I became a giant fan of his. I got to meet him at the New York City Cafe thing they had. Uh, over uh, when, when the, like the '90s, I got to meet him, got his autograph. I was a giant fan of Chris Jericho, right? 
But it's kind of that I'm seeing him wrestle now, and more and more, I can tell that he just doesn't have it in him anymore. He can still put on decent matches, but I feel like I'm seeing that I'm starting to see in real time that scale tilt the other direction. So the selfish part of me, the fan part of me, wants him to hang it up while he can, while he's still able to put on decent matches and not get KG mudoed where he can't wrestle anymore. He can't perform where he's at. I don't want to see Jericho like that. So they already have commentary lined up for him. He could definitely be a backstage mind. They don't need to rely on his his draw power anymore because they got Punk and Brian and all those other people coming in. I think if any is the time for him to hang it up, this would be the perfect time for it. Oh, he still has like a year and a half left on his contract. So <laughs> there's that to consider fine. as well. I mean, you can always have him on commentary. It's not like you can't redo his contract or just have him on commentary. Have him be a backstage role, an agent, something. Yeah, you can do I... something else with him. You can, you can have him back there with Tony Khan booking. Tony Khan, God knows Tony Khan might need a, a second opinion there. Well, here's sometimes. here's the thing about Jericho. And it's my, my I, I know exactly what you're saying, Kay. I mean, we watched uh, we watched the Joshi. <laughs> There's no secret. Yeah. Uh, it's too often where we see these these veterans just they're still wrestling. They can do like two moves. It's very depressing. And they the the caveat, <laughs> the icing on the cake of it all is they always win on top of it, which is very aggravating. Like we don't want to see Miami Ozaki as a champion in 2021. It, it's it's no. baffling why that happens. The thing about Jericho is I still think he has a lot to offer because of who he is and his role, and he still has a little bit left in the tank. Uh, and he's still very good at bringing in the crowd. I mean, hell, the the whole crowd in Houston sang his entrance song <laughs> with, with no music. Well, they all had to look at their phones. That's a caveat there. <laughs> but they did it, and that's the thing. Yeah, like, they he's eventually still, got it. Yeah, he's still very... Eventually. My mom was in the crowd for that show, by the way. <laughs> Your mom, yeah, your mom sang the song. Yeah, she sang the song. She had to look at her phone, and that—that's. <laughs> but that just shows. That just shows he, the crowd still loves him, and he still has a purpose. And the fact is, he has lost to MJF three times. He can get a win and maintain a little bit of his veteran status, and he can he can still try to put other young guys over, which is all I ask. And. If he was like, if he comes out at the end of All Out after he loses to MJF and challenges for the title, then we got a totally different conversation. But he, he again, that's my faith in AEW to not pull some bullshit like that. We're not seeing Brock Lesnar just get immediately into the main event after being away for a year and a half. Like it's just not happening with this promotion. It's not, it's, not, it's not what I'm saying. I'm not really saying that he's old and shouldn't be put. It should be shouldn't be beating people. I, I don't mind him beating MJF. Like I said, like that story would make more sense to do it that way, and you could have the Wardlow thing. Like that's a whole thing that I feel like makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, the me wanting me seeing him lose and retire that that part of me comes as a fan of Chris Jericho and just wanting not to see him get to a point where he can't put on matches and he becomes a shell of himself. Because I can, like I said, for some reason I'm the more I've seen of the past couple weeks or months actually at this point, but more so these past couple weeks, the more I'm starting to see that scale turn the other direction. I'm starting to see things that he normally does very well. I'm starting to see maybe he's not doing it as well anymore. Uh, well, things, there's his, always how fast he always... is and things like that. It's just, it, could, it makes me want, as a, as a fan of his, it makes me not want to see him being uh, a, hob, a hobbled old man not being able to perform like he You just don't to. want him to outstay his welcome, right? Right. 
Yeah, I don't want to yeah. see. I don't want to yeah. see him be trod out there like Michael Jordan five years after he's retired and not be able to put up the same points he did before. Or Jaguar Yakota in the back alley of a Diana show. <laughs> Wrestling cops and robber style, right? <laughs> okay, Robbie, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot you some questions here, and this is how we're gonna end this okay. AEW segment. Ready for this? Go for it. Okay. What do you think of the tag team 2.0? I love their act. They are they are so charismatic. They are so funny. And I just their interactions with Sting alone is just amazing. And I actually recently listened to their talkish Jericho. Like these guys are awesome. <laughs> like I'm very big fan of them. I saw them at a uh, at an indie show when I was living in Canada, and they are they are a blast to watch. Same thing with um, the Super Smash Bros. Now Evil Uno and in the Dark Order and company. Uh, yeah, they're they're tons of fun. I kind of hope that they were going to have something to do at the pay per view. All right, follow up question: How do you feel about Hangman Page now losing, knowing what we know now heading into All Out? At the time, I was, I was very concerned because, but also a little bit excited because I was wondering to myself, like, how are they going to turn the story around? How is he going to get back uh, to challenging Kenny? But now that we know sort of his situation, I can understand it. But it, it's, I think Kay mentioned this in a po- in a past uh, podcast. I, like, I don't know what extent they knew what was going on, but I did feel a little bit. Um, disappointed that we were kind of on this bandwagon with Paige, and then it's sort of shifted to Christian now. Um, now that he's going to be gone for a little bit, I understand, but I kind of do wish they were building up Christian a little bit more, so that transition could have came a little bit easier. All right, so then um, I'll interrupt that answer right quick. Uh, the insider knowledge is super is a, is a topic I've been floating around in my head. Because I think with how smart Marky fans we are these days, that you start to get a little on the dangerous side when you take into account the non-kayfabe aspect of it so much. Like, okay, Hangman Page is having a kid, so they had to. Like, well, no, they could have found another, a, a better way to transition, even knowing that or not. So then the question to, to, uh, slip in here is, have they done a good enough job transitioning to Christian in this uh, world title match, does the match feel at least, uh, I I can't say the word super hot, but is it hot enough uh, to garner our interest in the match? For me, no. It's it's not. Okay, so K gives a a no. What about you, Robbie? I'm more interested in your answer. Not not BBK over here. (laughs) BBK. (laughs) BBK. I kind of agree with uh, with K, but... What they're doing recently has lifted my spirits a little bit. Uh, sort of Christian winning the title off of NA. So there's that. But what we got out of Christian for a uh, page loss, it was just him, what, confronting Kenny, holding up the belt, and then doing his own thing with uh, Matt Hardy and his group. It just, it seems very left field, even if, like, we knew what was happening in the background. Okay. Uh, is Darby Allen the right opponent for CM Punk? I think he's a great first choice. Uh, very, uh, young talents that is over and it introduces, uh, newer fans or 
laps fans to one of AEW's uh, rising stars right now. So, and I think that CM Punk, Darby, they're going to have a fun match just based on how crazy Darby is and how engaging a lot of his, his uh, matches are. The Pretty Young Bucks. Been, uh, our Angels. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. His yeah, yeah, it should have been Alan Angel so he can end CM Punk's career in seven minutes. <laughs> um, the Young CM Bucks Punk are facing five. the Lucha Brothers in a steel cage match at All Out, all culminating from this just heavy heat storyline of the Young Bucks and Cutler and the Elite, just constant interference. A very old school built match leading to the only the second steel cage match in the company's history. Uh. Is this the correct decision to uh, how they have built it? And are the Lucha Bros the right opponents, Robbie? And do you think the Lucha Bros should win? So I think... I think the cage match stipulation, it makes sense. Uh, having all this interference, it's it's been very tiring to watch and it's very repetitive, but at least it sort of went somewhere. I think they could have done a little bit less of that. Uh, to get up to this point, but I understand. And it has, also, I, this is a. I had a funny. I had a friend uh, text me. He goes, "I'm sick and tired of this NWO elite bullshit." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, but at, at least there. they're sort of they're addressing it, and I really hope uh, that kind of leads into the Lucha Bros uh, winning the titles off the Young Bucks. Because if if the Young Bucks win, I, it's it's basically a wet fart for me. Um, as for the Lucha Bros, uh, I was actually surprised when they won uh, on Rampage. It, it, kind of uh, with the Elite feuding with Christian, it seemed like they were also feuding with um, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Yeah, kind of, so right? I very, yeah, I, I was very surprised. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this might just be me being selfish, but I, I think it's criminal that the Lucha Bros have not held those titles yet, so... Um, I definitely think that they should win. Um, I, I was having a little bit of reserves because I was trying to frame this in my mind. If the if Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus they win, that makes sense. They're feuding with the elites and the leader with Christian and uh, Jurassic Express. It makes sense. I'm interested to see how the Lucha Bros walk in to the match at All Out because they have this entire deal with Pac and Andrade. So it, it seemed like Andrade, Andrade was basically telling the Lucha Bros, you, you guys haven't won anything with Pac, and now it seems like they might. So how is that story with... How is Andrade going to address that situation? Does that mean that the Lucha Bros are staying with Pac? Um, is Death Triangle even uh, imploding at all? So... Those are just kind of my thoughts, but selfishly, I do want the Lucha Bros to win. Yeah, I thought, I thought the Jurassic Express was going to actually win that match and go on, because like you said, it feels like they were also feuding with the Elite, and that would actually work in storyline, and they could win, and that'd be a good way for Jungle Boy to get even, an even bigger push than he kind of has, because he's kind of in that upper mid-card situation there. He's well-protected, but he just can't beat the main eventers quite yet. With the Lucha Bros, my thought is I think they should win, but in the back of my mind, like you said, there's this Pack Andrade thing happening where Andrade is saying, you can't win the title, you can't win any gold as long as you're with this guy. So I could see a scenario pretty easily, actually, where the Lucha Bros lose this match 
And that plays into that story where where they do end up just deciding to go with Andrade. Uh, See, that's my fear. Because yeah. I, I, I'm thinking the same thing, and I'm thinking the, the juggle. Because I don't think we're done with the Christian thing even after this one. For some reason, in the, my, my brain is like, unless Hangman's coming back around the time of Full Gear, I could definitely see them dragging this out at least closer to that before they bring Hangman back. And so I feel like because I don't think they're going to be done with Christian, I feel like Jungle Boy is going to end up getting the title match. And I want the Lucha Bros to win. I do like too. I'm, I, I am both, uh, I both love the Lucha Bros and I'm sick and tired of the Young Bucks. Like, I just cannot with them anymore. <laughs> it's probably a good time for them to lose the titles then. Yeah, this right. is the best time for them to lose. Because if they continue after this, they're going to start getting go-away heat with me. Yeah, there. That's that's always a dangerous question to ask. Is or not that not a dangerous question. It's just all whenever there's a title match. Yeah, whenever there's a title match, you if you ask the question to yourself, is this the right time to lose the title? Then in my mind, that's like it's like with Shun Skywalker or Miyu Yamashita, which we'll get to when we talk about the Tuge. Is is it the right time for her to lose the title to Maki Ito? And I think we can all say yes, definitively, with that one and when you miss the mark on an answer like that, uh, that's when fans start to kind of turn on the champion and you kind of don't want that even if they're heels. Cause then like you said, Kay, it kind of starts to get that little go away heat situation. So yeah, I think the Lucha bros should win. Uh, again, I do think that there's a scenario where they lose and it plays in the story. Cause there's always proud and powerful and FTR in the background that they can easily slip into. And I hope that doesn't, I, I hope that they would uh, do something at like the Arthur Ashe show if that's the direction they go, and then that, that's when the Young Bucks should absolutely lose the titles. I do not think they should carry these tag titles into full gear. Uh, okay, so let's just run down real quick the uh, the rest of the All Out card because the the cards really come together. I think very strong. Uh, I did not buy the Double or Nothing pay per view. I I, <laughs> I didn't think that show was built all that well, uh, but All Out I. Everything that's kind of slipped together in on this pay-per-view, the it's weird. They haven't like long-term story built a lot of these matches. However, I think the matches announced and how they got to them, I think was done pretty well actually on these short short kind of term builds cuz let's face it, TV is where a lot of their money is. They're building a lot of these shows for TV. So you get big matches on TV and these are kind of like the background uh, slightly like more special matches. Like we're getting Moxley against Kojima, which I think is really cool. Uh, Robbie, we're gonna run down these. Right, just give me a nice little short, fun answer for each of them. Moxley, Kojima, thoughts, and who should win? Um, I'm not really a big watcher of New Japan, so I'm very neutral in this match. Uh, I'll go with Moxley. Okay. Andrade Pack. Andrade should win. Oh, interesting. He just came in. He hasn't really looked that special, like for the short amount of time he's been in AEW. But yeah, he's only. Had the I one think match. he should win. It's kind of weird. He's only had the one match. Actually, I think he probably should have. Maybe he'll have a match on Dynamite this week. Uh, yeah. let's see. What am I? Th- what am? What am I? Uh, women's Casino Battle Royale with the possibility Ruby Soho coming in. I'm more excited to see who's actually going to be in it than who's winning it. Um, as for who's winning it, I could see Thunder Rosa 
maybe if they want to do that match again. But outside of that, that's pretty much it. I think Malenko is going to win it. Debbie Malenko? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if she's actually in this thing, Kay. No, it wouldn't shock me either. And I'm kind of sad by that, actually. <laughs> Debbie Malenko's in it. She should win. Here's here's a thought. Here's a fun thought. You want to you wanna get a fantasy booking in this casino battle royale? Because the women's division's disbanding after this anyway, so we don't have to worry about yeah, a thing. Yeah, it's dead. Debbie Malenko's going to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think Emmy Sakura should win it with the help of Lulu Pencil, Sheeta, and Riho all joining a faction she's made. They'll call it Frozen Ribbon. <laughs> uh, so there's my fun little fantasy booking. Actually, I think Ruby Soho should uh, should be the Joker and actually win it. I think that'd be a really cool thing. But I think she's showing oh, up cool. at the Arthur Ashe show, weirdly enough. Debbie Willico's going to show up, win, and kill the division. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Britt Baker, Chris Statlander. Uh, as much as I love... Chris, uh, I don't think they're going to put the title on her. It, it definitely seems like it's a definite Britt Baker one. How good do you think this match is going to be? It's going to be terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, just looking at Britt Baker's track record, I'm hoping it's at least good. <laughs> You're hoping it's at I'm least hoping it's at least passable, watchable, watchable is what I'm going for. Uh, Omega Christian. Hangman Page should be the one to take off the title. So it does not it's feel gonna right. be Kenny. Yeah. It, do it doesn't feel like time it's time for Omega to lose this thing. I think the match is gonna yeah. be really good though. Yeah. The match on Rampage is good, so I can only hope. Um Am I forgetting any other matches for all out? Darby Punk. Fool. Now, we kind of already spoke about that one. Should win that match. Uh, I, he should on his first match in, he definitely should win that match. Yeah, Darby's okay without winning that, and he's he, you can always rehab him easier with Sting. He's got Sting with him, it's fine. Miro Eddie Kingston. Like, I he's love dead. Eddie Kingston, but like, Miro is on such a roll right now that I just can't see him um, lose the title right now. Like, I think. Someone who could dethrone Miro is Jungle Boy. And now that he's not uh, challenging for the tag titles, I could kind of see him maybe uh, challenge on at full gear. So maybe there, but I think it's Miro that's going to win. I think uh, Miro's going to take a shovel. He's going to dig himself a plot of land. Right for Eddie Kingston. He's going to kill this man, bury him six feet deep. Because <laughs> God said so, and he's God's favorite <laughs> champion. I love it. I have a feeling fucking Lana's showing up in this match. Oh god! I, it's, 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 it's listen, listen, listen. Feeling. What's a what, what's a king to a god? And I guess last but not least, uh, Paul White kills QT Marshall. I don't think we have many thoughts. Over I don't. That I, I, I do not care about this match. I hope he kills QT so hard that he stays on dark for the rest of his life. Ooh. <laughs> See, that's the thing uh, I I've liked about AEW. Like, I don't hate the factory and QT Marshall. What, uh, neither do I hate the Hardy family office. I think they are nice heel factions in their positions. So you got the Pinnacle and the Elite are your two top heel factions. In the mid-card, you got the Hardy family office, and it gets a lot of people TV time as well with Matt Hardy. And Matt Hardy can lose to like Orange Cassidy and people. Uh, Christian got... That's how he started a feud with 
Hardy, and now he's in. He's been elevated. And you got Marshall over here as an undercard heel faction that they can lose constantly, and it's fine. Uh, I just wish that they were more frequent on like elevation and dark, doing stories there, and that could be used. Uh, I think it could be utilized better. And that does it for AEW. I I I like what I'm seeing out out of All Out. I think it's uh, worth the money, and I wish I was going. Actually, this I'm pretty excited for this card. You guys feel the same? I'm excited for it. It's probably the most excited I've been for an AEW pay per view in a long time. Yeah, Holy I feel ever. Yeah, not a lot of big gimmick matches like uh, like hardcore, and uh, we got we got uh, a steel cage and a battle royal and a like a loser leaves town type match. So I think that's cool. A lot of singles matches. Only the one, uh, only the one tag yeah. match actually. Uh, my only complaint is uh, they've got the wrong Kojima. I need it to be Hideo. <laughs> Hideo Kojima. <laughs> that's funny. All right. We'll get into the rest of the men talk, and then you will join us later, Robbie, for some tooge. Okay, it's time to talk New Japan. Ah, the Nuge. Yes, August 14th, the Resurgence show featured around New Japan Strong. I kind of gave some loose thoughts over on the Patreon when uh, basically the day after the show happened. Uh, But this Resurgence show was a lot of fun, and it really gets me kind of more pumped up for Strong rather than the New Japan proper in Japan, which is kind of (laughs) funny. Yeah, I mean, hey, on one side, you get good young talent. On the other side, you get fucking main event evil again. Yeah, I'm not watching that. I decided I'm not watching that show. <laughs> I, I'm gonna watch uh, uh, Autumn Attack or whatever it's gonna called from uh, from New Japan Strong here. Uh, so we are gonna stick with New Japan, just uh, not on not on the island. We're gonna we're gonna stick in the United States. Okay, this this show was really strong. I I really really enjoyed what I saw. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, and I'm pulling up kind of the the full card here. Because uh, I have notes only over kind of specific matches. Uh, so forgive me. Yeah, Autumn Attack. Uh, they're both in Garland, Texas. They're going going over there. Uh, where is that? That's a, that's a very odd place to go, but sure. Here I thought go. it's all in California. Yeah, they kind of hang out in California and whatnot. But uh, so uh, Frederick and Coughlin uh, had the Coughlin series challenge series fredericks is going to be i think a big star that they can focus on and strong and coughlin has a good a lot of good potential i like i like all these young lions and people just breaking out of the young lion phase in new japan over in the strong region so you got coughlin fredericks connors those are kind of your one two three then you got guys like ren narita and uimura uh from the new japan proper that are now on their excursion Right, and they're in strong. So you ha- you just have a lot of this young talent that they're kind of able to focus on and strong and put on just like these these like two out of three uh, star recommendation matches just left and right. I mean, just after that there was a trios match: Connors, Narita, TJP. They defeated Rocky Romero, Wheeler Utah, and Fred Rosser yeah, of AEW fame, AEW Beyond Wrestling, uh, Independent Champion. So they, they like even the undercards are just super fun to watch, 
they they feel important for what the show's doing. Uh, this show also drew like twenty two hundred people as well. So uh, yeah, it has pretty good. Yeah, that's that's pretty damn good for a promotion trying to kind of build a new audience. Considering the Bullet Club isn't the Bullet Club of old when they came to America those years ago before AEW, because that's what it was all built off of. Kind of this this idea of Western expansion was Omega and the Bucks and Company. Ironically enough, you know what? I'd like the idea if this took off well enough, and they can use this to send people from Japan over, because then it makes me hope. Uh, probably a more of a pipe dream than anything that maybe in like 10 years startup would look a similar thing like a US promotion uh, it's, a, it's a way to look at it but yeah. I think that's a very big pipe dream especially because women's wrestling over here is the pits by comparison the pits <laughs> the pits so uh, in the mid card it was, uh, it was this 8 man tag that's where Tom Lawler the strong champion was probably not how I would have utilized him on the show but there was some big matches here uh yuya uimura uh he kind of cuts a promo after where he goes uh i i am here (laughs) i am in strong (laughs) i am am not chono i am uimura (laughs) and uh shibata uh this is where he invites him in and so they go and it's like yeah great we got lawler's little faction here uh we have kind of shibata's group we got some good good things building here, and it's it's very fun. Juice Robinson, Kaleo, that was junk. Don't watch that. Ishii Moose, 16 minutes. This was great. I adored this match. Okay, I don't We're believe stiff. you watched any of Resurgence, did you? I watched this with you. I I, just, I, I remember most of the top end of the card. I don't. I only remember about this match because it was very stiff. Yeah, so Ishii and Moose have a, uh, well, there's a height discrepancy. <laughs> if you could believe it. <laughs> One of them has a neck and the other does not. So, yes, oh, yes, that is the most noticeable over, over their physical beings. Yes, of course. <laughs> not their height. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's, so who has a neck? Well, listen, if Ishii had a neck, he might be able to make up some ground on that height. But this, this like, I'm watching this and I go, okay, Ishii is like one of the best wrestlers of our generation. He Just bell to bell, he's, he's that guy. And he's more over in the United States as well. So he should fucking stay here. And then he can he can be in strong. He can head to AEW, beat up some elite douchebags, and and just do his his Ishii pitbull thing, pitbull. But then I had another thought, and that's with Moose. Do you remember months and months ago when Omega kind of first won the Impact title, and we're wondering, okay, who can Impact build up to be a credible kind of threat to Omega, or in this case, even now Christian? Who, you like, said Moose. I said Moose, because who else comes to mind? And after seeing a match uh, that... Nobody. Yeah, exactly. They have no stars. They're, nobody has the star power available, and you got to build have somebody. Zach Ryder. No, did not did not have Matt Cardona. <laughs> no, they have uh, Kurt Hawkins. That's who they have. Oh, but they also have Zach Ryder, don't they? Isn't he side there? No, he's in GCW. Oh, they have Eric Young? They have Eric oh. Young. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, he's, a, he's an old like TNA vet, but... Uh, uh, they got um, Heath Heath Slater over there. Heath, yeah, fucking world champion Heath Slater. I've been dying to see that happen. Yeah, well, he's out with an injury now, but you know, I'm watching this Moose Ishii match, and you remember the Moose Omega match, and we're like, we kind of weren't feeling it because it was just this kind of 
dank environment, just nothing happening, and then it the just ends did with not care. Yeah, it just ends with like shitty interference. It was empty arena still. It was it was just it was not the right time and not the right use for Moose at all. No, no, no. It was an empty arena. They had people in attendance. They had Remember, wrestlers. They had, they, they, they had the wrestlers on the sides. No, they had fans. No, we saw the because no this 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 happened before a dark show or before Dynamite. No, this was totally separate. Sure, because I remember yes. seeing fans be like, oh man, there are fans, because we were wondering if there's anyone in there, and then we saw with some of the lighting, we saw some of the fans in the tent. This was not a whole lot of fans, obviously, at the time. I think you're misremembering this. I think I remember perfectly fine. I think you're misremembering. I think the match just sucked, and the fans didn't care. Well, the, ma- the, the match wasn't all that great, but Moose shows a lot of, like, top, for, for impact, top star potential. And flashing, yeah, yeah, and flashing moments. Adjusting for TNA standards. Yes, adjusting for TNA standards. Absolutely, and that's what I'm doing. And when you get him with a better opponent or with the way he can now work, especially considering the shape he's in, it, it, like he's he's the guy, or he's one of the guys to build. And coming after this match, like he lost to Ishii here. I don't have any issue with that. It's it was awesome. The the match is super fun. It's it's hard hitting. It's all built up super well. Ishii with the headbutt wins off a brain buster, which is awesome. You got to build off this if you're if you're Impact. You got to build Moose up in some conceivable way. Like over there, they have fucking big cast that they built up. Like okay, so he's oh, won a right. lot. They have Moose have beat him. Casts. Have Moose beat him. Have Moose beat like two very credible opponents that they built up, like a like a big cast and. I know this got into kind of an impact talk, but this is very relevant because AEW is involved, New Japan's involved over there. Moose is the guy. I, I, and coming after this match, I know it's Ishii. I, I know he can get a good match like out of every, anybody and everybody. But you still got to be able to hang with the guy, nonetheless. It takes two, right? I just forgot they had Big Cass on roster. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, I hate. I I can't watch that. Uh. Can't teach that. No. It was either before or after this match, Will Ospreay comes out. He's the real right. world champion. That's the best promo of the year. Oh, my God. I adored this promo. He is a fucking douchebag. It's fantastic. He's so easily hateable. He just buries everybody. He's like a very pissed off teenager that didn't get what he wanted. Uh, he, <laughs> that's a good way to explain it yeah uh, British people are calling him an Essex boy and he absolutely is an Essex boy that's that's literally his gimmick is he's like a he's the equivalent of a like a football jock in the United States oh I, um, I guess I can see that I, I see I equate it more to like a whiny rich white boy Jer- well really I, I wanted talent. to th- I wanted to think Jersey boy but that's like a different animal altogether but I oh, guess that's yeah, what no 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 because when I was living in London, there there was a show. It's like uh, the Life of Essex or some shit, and it's like their Jersey Shore. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, and like Osprey is exactly that kind of character. So maybe maybe a maybe a Jersey Shore like douchebag is is a good comp actually. But he says, oh, he he broke his neck and back for this company. All he needed was a few months off, and they stripped it for him. He references Boxley, like, having the U.S. title for over a year, and he didn't defend it. It's like, you, he kept the title, you assholes. 
He has a good point there, actually. Yeah, he he runs down uh, the the young lions in New Japan. They're, he calls them, I think, bitch boys or something. It's really funny. It's something like that. Yeah, uh, he he. I think he. I don't remember if he references Impact. If he does, I I forget it, which is understandable. He calls uh, AEW like geek dweebs, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, he just rolls down everybody, and then eventually, kind of the new New Japan strong young lion guys and and. TJ Perkins oh, no, comes you out. Missed, you, you, missed, you missed the one thing. He called Shingo and um, Abushi, I think? Called them pussies. Oh, yeah. He called... He, he called... Yeah. He called, he's like, oh, you like Shingo? Pussy. <laughs> you like Abushi? Also a pussy. It's so good. so funny. It was so funny. The fans are just doing him. It's great, dude. He's so good at getting this heat. Yeah, I I thought it was good heat. Uh, you got your you got your hometown boys, the Young Lions, uh, coming out to kind of defend strong, and I'm really looking forward to what Osprey is going to bring in New Japan Strong. And he's not going to be in the G1, so he can kind of also heal and work a lighter style. He doesn't have to worry about that for the rest of the year. And look, if New Japan is going to do a double dome again, which I fully expect they will, they got a built-in like immediate story where Osprey has a legit gripe for the real world title you got it built in you got the g1 winner one night and osprey the next night or however also has the world title with him too yeah yeah so it's I thought, his own I, copy of the world title which is funny because that means they made two versions of that god-awful belt that's <laughs> yeah, growing on me it's not growing on me especially because the old ones the old ones just so good looking yeah good brothers defeat moxley and nagata nagata was kind of the surprise um the surprise tag partner. It was supposed to be Shota Umino, but he is uh, fat and out of shape. So they went, uh, no, you need to get in shape. We are not featuring you. So this is kind of like the audible they called. Who is, wait, wait, who is that? Shota U- Umino is Red Shoe's son, and he's uh, he's a wrestler with a lot of potential. Very high bar, but with, he's got like the Pandemic 20 going on. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, That's so, not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of reports out of uh, kind of his appearances in RevPro over in the UK. That's a New Japan affiliate in the UK. And he has not looked good. <laughs> sort of like, yeah, oh, we're not no showing way. you. We're not showing you to the large audience just yet. Wait, 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 wait. The UK, a Japanese government getting fat, sounds like a familiar story. It sure does. And then uh, what's funny is after the match, like during the match, there were fireworks going off, going off, and Osprey on Twitter like posed in front of the fireworks going off, and he claimed that he was setting them off as a celebration of being there. Again, prime douchebag energy. I love it. <laughs> oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, God comes out, challenges the Good Brothers or whatever. Mics didn't work. It was funny. Who cares? Uh, Jay White defeats Finley, retained the open weight title. Jay White worked his ass off here. It is amazing how much Jay White's heel shtick works so much better without Gato involved in that same old tired oh, manager great. interference. So much better. Hey, New Japan proper. Hey, hey, Gato specifically. You taking notes? Well, supposedly there's uh, there's kind of more or less confirmation that Rocky Romero is booking New Japan strong and just kind of running it through if he even needs to run it through uh, Gato and company. So this is like all his brainchild. What you're telling me is they should uh, fire Gato and hire Rocky Romero as Booker. 
I mean, keep them in strong. I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing out of strong, and they got a they got a tour coming up, so I'll be I'll be watching those. But Finley, I'm kind of done with this guy. I think he's this is a case I want to talk to talk to you about in kind of just Joshi talk in general, and I kind of spurred the question on before is when you got kind of when you've reached your ceiling in a promotion and you're not kind of that main event act and even if you are if you've already kind of, if you felt like you've done everything you can or if you've been there for like years and years and years especially with all the options out there now i mean david finley's really reached that him and juice both they've really reached their peak in new japan and i think they need to just go away so I think, uh, if I remember correctly, you, you spoke this question on me uh, this morning, actually. Uh, and if you feel at me, uh, the original question was in regards to stardom and when Nagi said Nozaki potentially. I mean, I, I just, just, I just, just used it as, use as, as an example. example. Yeah. That's also a very good equivalent example here, though I do think, I don't think they've hit their peak. I don't, I don't know what their peak would look like because I haven't watched enough of them. But Nagi says definitely hit her peak. Like she's not going to get any higher than she is now in ring. Uh, I would say it. If they leave, they have to realize their options, at least with how they're going to be up and down on a card, are going to be limited. Well, uh, yeah, and, and, and the the, the second so question was are, expecting to be main event. Well, that's the second. That was the second question that followed that scenario. Is they have to know that they're going to be, let's say, a mid carder, and David Finley, he's not going to be a main eventer in Impact. Well, Impact's crazy enough to probably push him, but let, let, like, let's just say. He goes to Impact, and he's going to be kind of an upper mid-carder. Kind of what he is in New Japan, but he's not going to be winning the world title in New Japan. So, fresh matchups, different style. May, like, is it the worst idea? <laughs> in the West, I can't think of any promotion that would not just immediately shoehorn them in the main event because they're affiliated or had been affiliated with New Japan. So I think if I'm going to think of promotions to go to would be in Japan. That makes it even weirder because I don't know if Noah takes Gaijin's in, and I don't think that'd be a smart place to go. I know it. No one has. I don't know what all not, Japan does. Yeah, what all Japan does. Dragon Gate. I think Dragon Gate'd be a smart choice, maybe. Yeah, it's just something to think about. But I'm definitely way into Jay White in New Japan Strong as well, and you, you see a pattern here. <laughs> and yeah, you notice a pattern. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tanahashi defeats Archer. Uh, to become the U.S. champion, uh, very much playing it. Moxley was ringside just having like a Sapporo or something or a Modelo. I forget what beer he had, but he was chilling. He was pulling his inner Sasaki, and uh, Moxley's all pissed off at Tanahashi and Archer. It's 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 quite the story going on. I'm into it. Uh, Archer worked his ass off in this match. Tanahashi's the best babyface in the world. This is nothing new, and Archer put in kind of like his like he. I have never seen Lance Archer as good as he is in high spots uh, on uh, on this level. And this is kind of like, just a few years ago, this dude had like possibly career-ending back surgery. And once oh, he had that, that, yeah, once he had that G1 match in Dallas against Will Ospreay, which he won, by the way, his career has just been on this upward swing. Because Archer is like this perfect upper mid-card monster that you protect him to an extent and then you and then he can lose to your guys that you do see at that main event level like Tanahashi here clearly you know above Archer's level 
obviously. I think we can all agree with that. Definitely. But coming I, I up, I thought this was the best match I had seen from him. I mean, I still think that Moxley hardcore match, uh, uh, whether it was at Wrestle Kingdom or at Dynamite, I like those more. But this was probably I think the I best. The near falls here better. I think this was the best worked match I've ever seen out of Archer. Yeah, like I think I bought the near falls here a lot more than I bought them in the the Moxley match. Uh, but I think a lot of that has to do with just how good Tanahashi is making that those spots very believable. I mean, obviously that doesn't that does uh, belittle Archer's efforts in the match either. But I just think Tanahashi's so good at buying his own near falls when he's about to get pinned. I think it just added much more than I think the boxing match. The boxing match was also very good. But I, so, I originally was in the camp, because you mentioned how he's booked uh, sort of like a monster, like a mid-tier monster, but you're not going to ever, you predict him just enough to keep him relevant. I, uh, I remember early on in one of my AW watching, I didn't know this guy was Lance Hoyt once upon a time. Yeah. I only know. I only know because of OSW reviews making fun of him and his tramp stamp tattoo. <laughs> so I didn't know who this guy was at all. and had no idea that was the same guy. I thought he was a younger dude. So I was like, yeah, why are you, why are you not like pushing this guy to the moon? Why is he always losing his big matches? The guy's older. So of course, I mean, you're not going to... Yeah, he's, he's, in, his, like, he's and, in his mid-40s. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's old. He's going to be 50 eventually. Like, here very soon. <laughs> No, he's, I think years. he's. I think he's like forty-five. Yeah, five years. That's not a. I mean, wow. that's, that's a decent amount of time. But I. I mean, you don't put world title on someone who's forty-five and has as much mileage on him as he does. It's yeah. fine. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I think this is a perfect, perfect spot for him. Uh, he can hang out in strong as well. Hang out in AW. Come in when they need him. Uh, this is good stuff. I'm. I'm way into strong. This was. I think this was a home run of a of a show and a card where it had uh, built up good title matches, had a good singles match building up Ishii and Moose. You you have your tag title scene looking strong uh, with just a host of many teams. Uh, they had a big surprise with Osprey, and they shot angles throughout the show. It, it it makes you interested in seeking more than just this kind of one show. It makes you want to keep paying attention to the promotion. We're going to get into another promotion that isn't doing that. And I really got to give props to what New Japan Strong was able to do here. This, this, was, this was a great show. I massively enjoyed it, and I do recommend it. So uh, I want to mention one thing that uh, I feel like it makes a big difference between this and watching New Japan proper over in Japan. Uh, we didn't skip a single match. Exactly. segment, anything. I can't do that with new japan there's a lot you gotta skip otherwise you're just gonna be murdering yourself yeah yeah no doubt i think that's right there that's the big take home thing you didn't skip anything on strong but you'll skip stuff with new japan i think that speaks more to the flaws in the booking system over there currently and i think i think they're gonna need to change some things uh, i think they're i hope the recent circumstances are opening their eyes more because i don't know if you've noticed but i know our buddy niagara driver has noticed the japanese fans over there not too happy with the way things have been going over there. Uh, very, very not kind things to say about the promotion currently. Yeah, I mean, evil stuff, oh yeah, main event evil. It, 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 it uh, New Japan proper just doesn't have a lot of buzz. It's a very cursed year uh, with like everybody giving getting COVID left and right. Uh, 
Gaijin's leaving. Gaijin's because of the leaving. They're strong. News to that got to Japan, by the way. Like they, they, those people found out about that. I think that was what Meltzer's report. I don't know if that gets around over there, but it got around over there. There are things I'm they get around. Comments. Oh yeah. I, I'm seeing comments about people very uninterested in the G1 are worried about how they're gonna even how they're gonna make the G1 fill out because all because they pissed all the Gaijin's off and made them go away because of how bad how they've been reacting. They're not blaming the Gaijin's. They're blaming New Japan. It's not a good thing. If I'm New Japan, I, I want to make sure I fix shit and fix shit as fast as possible. Right. It's, you know, Stardom, Stardom is doing very good for themselves by comparison. It is? Okay. Time to get in the Dragon Gate. Dragon Gato coming off of Kobe World and uh, Masato Yoshino's retirement. Very excellent. uh, Two good shows. Kate, this is interesting. I'm going to spur this on you. Mm -hmm. Sure. We got some comments towards our Dragon Gate opinions. Oh, good comments or bad comments? So, funny enough, I post a lot of things on Instagram now, and I got some messages over there from Japanese fans that are following us. And interesting. I know it's only like two people of reference in here, but nonetheless, it's feedback. And they agreed with us with whole, the whole Yamato winning, KZ losing situation. Uh, the Western fans, I got four people uh, from the West, and uh, I noticed two other people that uh, I know they, they also watch Dragon Gate and uh, just kind of take their opinions into account on this as well. They thought KZ should have won and uh, that he should have came out of Kobe World as champion. So very two very different uh, uh, viewpoints from two different fan bases. And I find this fascinating. And this is something I want to kind of uh, talk about, especially when it comes to Joshi. Uh, Joshi wrestling. I was about to say, it sounds, it sounds very familiar. Because there's a lot, there's a there, there's a lot of there's two very different viewpoints with booking when it comes to the Japanese fans, their home fans, the ones that pay for tickets, and then us, the Westerners, that has a well, preferably has a uh, like Russell Universe subscription or Stardom World sub- subscription, and uh, just viewpoints everything from outside looking in, more or less. So, with I I, I just found that kind of interesting. And uh, none of them would bite, uh, but they they just thought that KZ had the momentum and they stifled it. And it kind of brought up my kind of comment about uh, it's okay if someone doesn't win the world title. It's 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 it it can happen because they did they were built up for like that showcased moment, and you can't take that away from him. And you know what? I've I've got a good example for that. Uh, and this is using Joshi and why I think uh, just because you win a tournament that momentum it doesn't always mean you should win the tournament so I'm mean, winning the title someone's winning the tournament's the big deal out of itself Hanakamura remember she had the big year where she had her faction formed right she was winning matches she debuted a new finisher she won the five star and she lost the beat Priestley title she did yeah and I remember at the time people were furious which is funny because they were furious westerners were furious with her push 
and in War 2 was even more funny. So yeah. me at the time, I was a big, I had just become a big Hanukkah Mora fan after seeing her live. And so I was sitting there, I was like, I wasn't even upset by the decision. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, most people that win the fight when the, the five star don't win their title match. The ratio is, is like none of them have won. Tony Storm may be the only one, and that was out of injury. That wasn't because she won right. because she she like was supposed to win the match. She clearly wasn't supposed to win it. Yeah, so it's Utami like, was kind of that first person to break through that. Yeah, Utami is the first one, the first one to win <laughs> the five star and then win the title match. It's crazy. So it's like, yeah, of, of course. Like that's how this goes normally. It's not the big deal. Well, Dragon Gate is kind of the opposite. The title match. Dragon Gate was kind of the opposite, where the King of Gate Gate winner has, uh, like I think it's like the last three or four years has won the Dreamgate title. The following. Like Casey's just a, a loser. He broke the trend. Well, could be playing into something, but uh, Casey's like out with a ankle injury or something right now. Oh, even more reason not to put the belt through on August. Him. <laughs> well, I don't know if that was I don't think that had much well, to do obvious, with it obviously not right but it's hey. like he's Kuna like I know that I make that, converse, that comparison of a joke but no he is he's not there to be the guy he's there to help make the guy it's his role yeah, that's, that's that, fine I mean, yeah, every that's company needs that every company needs that and you know what's good if you are so reliable in that role that they rely on you to do it every time you know what that means that they put trust in you to make their stars. You're not going to be the star, but they trust you enough as a company. And I feel like in Japan, at least, that always feels like it goes a long way, putting trust and faith in somebody. They do a very big deal thing over there, as opposed to over here, where it's just seen as being buried. Well, here's the other thing. When you look at KZ's career, and I've followed a, a lot of KZ's career, because I've absolutely like loved this guy. Not since day one, because he was a... K, this guy was a jobber. For a long time, he was in fucking openers with, like, uh, uh, he was in the comedy openers, and uh, I'm trying, I'm, I'm blanking <laughs> on the fucking Buzzy B guy. It's like Sachi Sachi Eco Boy, and shit. Did he did he have colored overalls or clothing? Dude, this guy was a was a geek, and his career parallels Joe Kyoto a little too far, a little too much. <laughs> and this guy has worked his ass off, improved his game. To the point where he's gone from jobber to main eventing the biggest show of the year. And that 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 in itself is like unprecedented <laughs> when you think about it. Because like when you look at someone like Yamato, yeah, he started his career a little bit later. I think he was like 29 or 30 when he debuted. And the guy became the ace. Like he he was a, a prime prospect from the day he stepped in the ring and he was pushed to the moon like immediately. Okay. That guy, main eventing Kobe World, is just like an expectation. Okay, when you get to KZ, main eventing Kobe, Kobe, like not only that, but winning King of Gates, when with how he started and where he's come, and just being the pin eater, essentially is like it's one of the real the feel good stories. Which I've I I had a conversation with with one person. They kind of went, well, wouldn't that be even more reason for him to win the title? I go, well, yes, I don't disagree with that. But in the in the grand in kind of I'm I'm like thinking about the big picture and how I felt leaving Kobe World, and that's kind of where I go. This was the right decision at the end. So just to kind of play I, off like that. Like you had said, it's like, well, wouldn't that be a great payoff to his big Cinderella story? Listen, everyone loves Cinderella story. Nobody gives a fuck about what happens afterwards. 
And that's the other thing. Like maybe KZ is actually more intriguing being the loser. Yeah, it seems it's so like I said, it's like everyone wants the Cinderella story, but nobody gives a fuck about what happens after the slipper's been put on. Nobody cares. You stop caring when she becomes the royal and starts filing out papers and tax returns. You don't care about that. You care about the story. So some wrestlers are just the story, and you don't want them to have the payoff because if they have the payoff, they lose everything that makes them valuable. So, like I said, nobody gives a fuck about the Cinderella after story. They just care about the story leading up to it. Yeah, the the so when you have a character like that with with a KZ, comparatively to uh, Hiroki Goto in New Japan, the obstacle then they have to book around with with these with these people is you don't want to go to that well often and obvious. That's that's where you start losing, where you begin to get the jungle Kiona syndrome, where it's like, well, of course they're losing in Nagoya, of course they are. It's just what they do. And with Casey, right. you really bought that he was winning this time. And the other feeling I get is, I don't feel like he can never win the title. Now, if they like turn around in February next year at Truthgate and he's got a title shot, all right. Now we're now we're now we're getting bad. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> so now, now we're doing parody here, right? Uh, we're being self aware. With Kiona, they didn't have anybody in that spot, and they needed to make stars quick. So she was good at doing that. She helped make Momo. She helped bring Hazuki up the card. She helped make Kazuki uh, put Kagetsu up the card more. She helped make Utami in her debut. Like, I get why they went to that well so many times because literally, who did they have to do that? Yeah, it's a totally different scenario than, than so. Dragon Gate because there's a lot of guys they can conceivably push right now. And there was so much momentum to me coming out of Kobe World. There was so there was so much emotion because one of the biggest stars of the promotion's history, Masato Yoshino, has officially retired. How is Naruki Doi going to be positioned? What is his like motivations going to be? What's his character? And they threw him in a team with Jason Lee, which uh, is a very exciting team. I really like that. So there's the August 11th uh, Cork and Hall show uh, that we didn't get to talk about in the last one because we were talking about Kobe World the whole time. Uh, 6:35 right. they drew and. The August 21st Kyoto show, uh, which doesn't have an attendance listing, uh, I was able to get a hold of. Okay. They did fuck all on both of these shows. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I don't... I can maybe understand on some... Like, on some way, why they would do that. But I feel like it's more of a Western promotion thing to cool down after your big show than it is in Japan, which seems to want to have at least another big show right after and then cool down. Right? And it seems to be always how it's structured. But they did the Ice Ribbon uh, route. But when Ice Ribbon does it, when Ice Ribbon does that, they tend to wind it down with a fun show afters to kind of keep the at least the good vibes going. Like they always have the Ueno Park show almost like right after. Well, that's this different. Being, this year being the exception. That's way different, I feel, than what Dragon Gate's done here because these were like straight house shows. It, what it, I'm talking about and like the cool down period how they handled it and this was not handled well at all because kind of what we were excited about coming out of Kobe world was the 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 prospect of what they're going to do with Casey okay he had an ankle injury you can kind of put off anything that natural vibes is going to do or maybe focus on uh the twin gate situation 
nothing's happening in the Twin Gate scene. They're not doing anything with there. And with with uh, Shimizu and Yokosuka, that's to me, that's a hot act. I I love that act. Of course, my boy Shimizu's in it. Of course. So they could they could pivot to something with the Twin Gate because they they got Dangerous Gate coming, and that's one of their big shows of the year. And it feels like they're just running in place, and that's not good. Uh, the be- all they've all they've built up is that three way for the number one contender with Mochizuki, and I understand his position. He's one of the he's one of the best uh, workers in Dragon Gate history. He's uh, he's he's a he's a he's a star in his own right, but he's also aging and you only have so many like big main events with him left so man you know first defense maybe not the worst thing in the world but then you look at the other two guys in the situation you got ben k who was basically like v2 the last like couple times <laughs> and and kai thrown in there and god i hope that's a red herring yeah because kai would be like i i would actively not want to watch that match actually no. That that's that's because an- they they paid they paid that Matt they paid that off. You do not go back to the wall, especially so soon after paying it off. No 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 no. Now maybe if he gets a title match in like a year or two, like maybe it's like okay sure they can maybe reference it, but they're not gonna keep that feud going, right? No, you literally literally just a couple months ago just had to pay off to this. You will not if they do this again. I'm gonna question what they're what's going on over there. Yeah, it's it's very it's very strange and. When I saw the three, I go, okay, maybe they don't want to go to Kota Minora yet. Maybe that's like the Dangerous Gate match, which would be really cool because that feels built up. So what's Kota Minora doing in the in the meantime? You know, I take a look at I take a look at the cards that we watched here, and he's not doing anything either. What's uh what what's what's Skywalker doing? Should Skywalker be going for the Twin Gates or or maybe feuding with Ata, doing something? anything like there's nothing on either of these two shows i can i can actively recommend to go out and watch or even worth watching they they're doing these uh four unit exciting battles in the main event why i don't know i don't know what they're doing there's no direction on the brave gate that we were kind of curious about being it's it's vacated you get the feeling that they might do like a four way or something or a three way but they they lack direction in that I don't know what they're because they're clearly not taking time off, right? There, there, there's there's right. something to be said for kind of winding down, as you say, and and a cool down period to maybe like these guys rest. But they're not doing that. It's just house shows. And fuck, I'm looking at the schedule here. They've run nine shows in August. They're not resting. <laughs> Not to the extent you, you'd think shows? they would be. Dude, we're not even over with the month yet. That's a lot of shows to be running in just, <laughs> what, three, four weeks? And yeah. not do shit on, especially? What's going on? Like, did they just, did the book run out of pages? <laughs> so, this is weird. Uh, back in, I think it was 2016, when Yamato last had the title, I believe he also won it at Kobe World. And they did kind of this exact same thing. Maybe they don't know what to do with their ace. Oh shit, ace one. Oh god, uh, what do we do with the ace? We don't want to make them look too weak. Well, we don't want to have a story. Maybe that's what it is. They just don't know what to do with their ace. Maybe they're just TJPW booking it. Don't know what to do. We put the belt on this guy and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah, it, and uh, I really hope they kind of put the pedal to the metal 
uh, because last year, maybe because everything was so balls to the wall, that's why we're so excited about it, because things were happening just every week, seemingly, with, with Dragon Gate, because they had lost so much time due to uh, uh, Corona. But now it's just, it's so baffling what they're doing now. And they uh, to me, they've lost a lot of momentum. They've lost a lot of steam out of Kobe World. And that's a big bummer for me. Oh, that's so- that's such like a like it's like TJPW. I don't think the same circumstances as TJPW. I don't think the Booker fucked up last second. What's crazy is up. I think TJPW did better than Dragon Gate coming out of Cyberfight oh, because I won't. No, I won't because with that. because they actually had a main event to build to at least in the meantime. A couple a couple weeks later with the Saki Sama match, Dragon Gate hasn't even done that. They've done literally nothing. <laughs> Yeah, the thing with the Saki Sama match was nobody was actually excited for it, in Japan at least. Over here, people were excited for it because Saki Kai became like a, a hot meme for a bit there. But in Japan, they didn't care. Are you care saying she's not a hot meme, Kay? She could be a hot whatever the fuck she wants to be. The fans over there didn't care because, well, they didn't build it. Like, I, I think I spelled out the story they could have had there. Uh, she's never meeting Yamashita, has never beaten Saki Kai. They never referenced that, ever didn't talk about that it was just respect i respect you but i don't respect you that was the story i'm like the fuck are you doing you have a story right there maybe i think they handled it poorly by having a terrible story that nobody cared about where they had a story in their lap i mean we don't know what dragon gate's doing right now they could pop off all of a sudden but i I just i don't know man maybe coming out of the pandemic some of these companies that just went hog wild with their booking maybe now they're just running the end of the rope and try to figure out what to do now that things are starting to get kind of back to normal. That's what it is. All right. Let's get into a fun promotion that happened. Uh, Hopefully Dragon Gate pulls their shit together. DDT. All right, DDT. A couple good shows they had uh, since uh, the last podcast. Summer Vacation at Cork and Hall, August 15th. And, of course, uh, the Peter Pan Show, August 21st at uh, Kawasaki Stadium. You did a stadium show in a football stadium in Japan. 1,300 people showed up to that show. Uh, little, It felt a little vacant <laughs> in that large place. A little? It yeah. felt very vacant. <laughs> it was pretty vacant, yeah. But um, still, the environment was weirdly... I was okay with it, weirdly enough. I think it was... I think it the tight cameras... Like the outdoor show. I feel like it was like those uh, outdoor shows they yeah. typically do sometimes where they're like fighting on the streets. That's the, kind of the air vibe it gave to me, which I kind of like sometimes, so I didn't mind it. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't hear the crowd. You couldn't hear the crowd because it was so far away. There no, were so no, few no. of them. But thirteen hundred people was, I guess, a decent attendance in this in these times. I mean, it's it's Slowly tough to it's tough to judge. Yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, well, it's double <laughs> what people it. are pulling a cork in these days. But, uh, so on the summer vacation show, uh, Akito and Ueno defeated the Damnation duo of Sasaki and Matt Pauly. And I mentioned this tag match before. This is where Sasaki just beat the shit out of Ueno and made him bleed, and it was a good hot angle. It, like, really got me into looking forward to their Universal title match. I think it's kind of one of the more 
in the background, well-built matches of the summer uh, for me was this weird Sasaki Ueno kind of blood feud they were going after because Sasaki's big bad heel. He wants that title, etc. Sasaki and the Universal title have a history to it, especially with the Chris Brooks oh. feud. Oh, well, listen, I saw I saw this angle uh, and I was like, that's cool, though, but I like seeing Sasaki with the beard in his head. Like that's peak Sasaki. Well, he's either I want to uh, cause a lot of uh, murder to you, or I'm gonna chill and drink my beer. Like, <laughs> there's no in between with this guy. <laughs> that guy with the support in his hand and chilling with chill vibes. That's Sasaki. That's the Sasaki I like. He reminds me of a wacky like Yakuza anime character. That's exactly what he is. He's like the fucking lazy character of the Yakuza games. It kind of just strolls in sometimes. Yeah, and then just flips, uh, like you say the wrong thing, the f- he flips a switch and he shoves your head into the table as hard as he can. You're like, whoa, bro. He just, becomes, he just becomes Majima all of a sudden. Yeah. Majima? Yeah. Oh my god. I am Majima. He becomes nah, he's Majima not wacky enough. He's not wacky enough to be Majima. Could be if he tried, though. He has the look. DDT Extreme Title Hardcore Judo Match. This was wacky. So... First first fall was judo rules. Mao wins against Aoki in like a minute and a half. It's really funny. <laughs> then it g- gets really wacky where it's hardcore rules. So it's it's not judo rules. It's just a hardcore match. Not as good. This was kind of boring, actually. Then it goes to... This is what they lost me. Yeah. And then it goes hardcore judo rules. So now it's weapons with judoka stuff. And uh, th- this got super wacky. And uh, Aoki retains... It's, I didn't like the match, but I was entertained, if that makes sense. I, uh, so we did the hardcore stuff for the second fall. I, uh, it kind of lost me. And and after that point, it was kind of hard to reel me back in, even though it got goofy. Like, I've seen goof in DDT. I think the key to goof is keeping the goof maintaining interesting throughout the entirety of the match, not losing you halfway through. Yeah. Luckily, it was only like a 12-minute match in total. So it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Like it's not. It wasn't like heavy yeah. time investing. Shinya Aoki is always like real. He's mostly missed with me a lot of the times, uh, just because he's a legit shoot fighter <laughs> that they bring in, and he has wacky wrestling matches. So, whatever. What What do you think yeah, of the tag uh, title match? Takeshi and uh, Shun defeating uh, Junretsu's Yusuke Okada and Akiyama. 20 minutes. So I first gotta make I first gotta make a confession to you. Uh this entire time I have been thinking Shun Katsumata is Mao. Or I thought his name was Mao. This entire time. I have been getting those two mixed up. <laughs> for that, I for that, I feel stupid. That's okay. But I watched the show and I saw it. I, I literally took it literally took me seeing them back to back like, oh, that's Mao. That's the guy I like Shun Katsumata that's in the hot tub fighting people in the yes. hot springs. Yes. <laughs> that's the that's the bathhouse guy. I like that guy. I don't like this Mao guy though. <laughs> uh, I thought this match was great. Like it started off uh, a little slow, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and then it get, kept getting more and more steam. As it got st- more steam, it was getting stiffer and stiffer and stiffer, to the point where they were just like they were like beating the fuck out of each other. Especially uh, Akiyama and uh, Takeshita. I was like, oh my god, these two are because I so. Uh, a little bit of a spoiler here. I saw the title match before I, uh, yeah, before I saw this match. So I went back to it. I was like, dude, they didn't lit up in the title match. They didn't lit up here either. They kept that you know, heat and the momentum between the two. I thought it was very well done. 
Uh, I like Shun. He got the win there. I, I was very happy. I popped. I was like, ah, my boy. He's good. He's really good. He's very fluid. With his, Shun... with his movements and how he kind of how he gets out of the ring and into the ring. Yeah, Shun Makatsumata is like one of my most improved wrestlers of the year because he went from hardcore Yano, like just straight comedy, to now I actually want to watch him wrestle in serious matches. And because he was hardcore Yano prior, he has like this just endearing charisma to him and character, where you just want to see I love him win. Him. <laughs> And he's also psychotic. Dude. This guy is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just listen. He won me over with the bathhouse match. Like, this guy, <laughs> this guy here, for DDT wrestler. This guy right there. I like him. Him he, and Sasaki. He absolutely fits DDT, where he's, he's, got a good, he's got good comedic timing, and he can turn on the Jets now. I think he's developed into a... A, a hell of a of an upper mid card wrestler. I don't think he's main event worthy yet, but do I see him kind of challenging Sasaki for the spoiler universal title? Yes, I do. I do see him doing that. Do I see him winning? Eh, eh, maybe not yet, but he's getting to that point. I, I, I like really I like what I'm seeing out of Shun, and this this was a good match. Uh, him and Okada really uh, really hit it off. I loved how the match broke down into Takeshita and Akiyama just throwing bombs outside the ring. So they wanted to take each other out, and yet they at any time they tried to enter the ring to help out their partner, they would essentially take each other out again. So it, it kind of just great. broke. Yeah, it it was it was just good dynamic. Uh, this 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 was a great tag match. I I really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm looking at my other like top DDT tag matches of the year, and I think besides the one at Cyber Fight Festival. I uh, I think this is like the the second best. Let's see. There's the eruption to catch the Mal from February 20th. No, um, I'll have to think about that. I'll have to think about that one. But it's up there. I mean, this tag match was up there. I really enjoyed it. I I, I loved it. And, and then figure out that uh, the Shun guy, Shun is the the guy I've been meaning this entire time. Not Mal. So dirty the fact that I thought that because I don't like Mal. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I don't like that guy, but I like this guy. <laughs> I was kind of mad at myself for getting those two mixed up. He's great. And uh, have more title matches in bathhouses, please. What do you think of uh, Yusuke Okada's role? Do you think he's being too underutilized in DDT right now? Hey, I get the feeling that they could heat him up at any point, so I don't think I'm worried about it. He's big and beefy enough, and he's he's such a monster already. I think you could just heat him up when you need to. I don't think he's going to win the belt. Uh, I don't get the feeling that they think that he's going to ever win the title. But him being like a nice like contender every once in a while, I think is probably where I'd put him at least. I mean, he's young. There's still definitely time. There's something right. telling me that he's being booked the way Akiyama wants him to, where he's kind of in his shadow. Maybe the next story is Okada breaking off from Akiyama. I think that'd be a story I'd be in, Ooh, into. That could as... definitely change my that that change change my tune on him if he had that story and he overcame the master. Yeah, because it really feels like he's stuck in his shadow uh, in DDT right now. Uh, I did like this tag team a lot. This Junretsu tag team of Okada and Akiyama. They I mean, come on, it's mastered student. What's there not to like? Anyways. Something to look out for on Okada. I'm I'm curious what they'll do with him going forward. Peter Pan. Uh, I I didn't write down every match. No point in going over kind of the filler ones, but uh, 
Pre-show eight-man tag, uh, the exploding death match with the bats. Akito, Onita, Maki Ito, and Takagi defeat Hikari Noah, Kurochan, Sasadango Machine, and Kuroda. This went nine and a half minutes. Okay? Fun little spectacle. Oh, I, I love this. I, this and the other Ito exploding death match have been fun. And it's kind of fun seeing her progression. Because you remember she was in the Money in the Bag match and she was afraid to do anything. And then the, the second bat match, she's afraid to do anything, kind of, except for when everyone's cheering her on and, and are pumping her up for it. And this one, she just goes for it. So I like seeing the uh, the sort of slow build of Ito becoming a deathmatch queen. Uh, Hikari <laughs> Noah, Hikari Noah hitting Takagi with it finally was great. She had a big had smile on her that. face doing it too. Oh, she was having the time of her life. Listen, she checked that off of her bucket list. Now she just needs to hit Takagi with the van. <laughs> That's the next on the list. Takagi's listen, Takagi's crazy enough to fucking do it. So I can see that happening next. Um I, I especially like the spot where they both took each other out. Yeah, both, that was cool. It got some really good visuals. Uh, I thought that was done really well. Oh, it's amazing. It was so there was more pictures of that spot for the show that I saw especially by DDT and uh, Russell Universe's and TJPW's Twitters, than any part of this match, outside of, like, the entrances. So you can tell that that was the spot that took from the match, because I don't remember anything else from the match outside of the Ito Hikari Noah stuff, because that was kind of what I was there for, at least. Yeah, I mean, there was a point where uh, I think it was Onita uh, pulled Hikari Noah in front of him <laughs> to take a oh, bat right. shot. <laughs> Something like that. It was something wacky where someone used one of the Joshi, uh, Joshi girls too <laughs> as a human shield, and uh, you got a little boo out of the crowd there. <laughs> so there was a ten. There was a ten man tag on the show that I thought was uh, pretty entertaining. But the the real talking point that came out of it is so DDT and Takagi, uh, the brainchild is they they have what's called the DDT Teenage Initiative, and interesting. Yeah, it, it's uh. It's a structured environment to recruit young talent, and uh, so so obviously, what comes what first comes to mind with doing this? Uh, well, TGPW his comments on TGPW, but that's for a different part of the podcast. But well, that's the, the what comes to my mind at least. I was thinking of the the ice ribbon structure. Oh, I, so when you say teenage, right? I'm not thinking Icerbic because Icerbic still takes uh, children into at least the wrestling circles and stuff like that. If we're going to go that route, it'd still be TJPW because they, they have a program that's very similar-ish, just not as advertised. That's how Suzume uh, went from being a fan to being a wrestler. So I, I thought this was an interesting talking point because we see this in, all, in Joshi promotions. Uh, Ice Ribbon was the first that came to my mind with its wrestling circle where right this is this is legit training like teenager teenage uh boys to uh how, you know, how young are we talking though because that's that's where well, that's why i didn't make the comparison in my brain uh there's a guy named uh like l unicorn and he's i think he's 16 okay i guess that for the men's promotions that is on the younger side yeah 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 and uh i believe they also have this initiative includes uh you can't debut until you turn 18 Right, which is the rule stardom now has. Right. So I think this is interesting, because we've talked about this in the past, where I think this is a good idea, because, uh, just to kind of reiterate my point here on why I think this is a good idea, 
is I am of the mind that if I can if I can play basketball or kids can play soccer or American football really young, these are high impact sports. What makes wrestling so like faux pas to that same environment? And I know I know like the first thing that comes to mind against that is the whole speaking out movement. There's no there's no uh there's no well there's no there's there's no like accountability essentially in the wrestling world. It's very it's a very dirty environment. Now our counter argument, Kay, if you remember, was if there is accountability and that like actual structure to it all, then why not? Know what I mean? Yeah, so when I see that argument, because I've seen that argument uh, still more recently pop off because of Ice Ribbon. Uh, it's funny enough, the only time I've seen people talk about Ice Ribbon is the fact that they debuted a 12-year-old in Sarain. The difference, I think, would be is Ice Ribbon is a very family-friendly environment. They yeah, they have, a, they have a reputation behind them as well of being that. They do. They do. And they, they're very protective of their own wrestlers. Sarain does not have a Twitter she is all her photos that are posted on Twitter are only in match stuff. So like in match photos they have for every wrestler, maybe one of her post match, maybe Suka might post something goofy with her, like her right. homework and stuff, but it's never done in a way that the other wrestlers are done with their posted post photos of them outside doing things for wrestling events and stuff like that. Never done that way. Uh, she's not, allowed, I mean, fucking Yuki Mashiro uh, wasn't allowed to have a Twitter tour. She turned 20. Suzu had a Twitter uh, before she turned 20 is because she was the champion and she's a junior she she uh, left junior high so she's graduated so she's technically she's living on her own so they, they made an exception for her but I, I don't know how it is in men's promotions but I know notoriously with women's promotions they're fiercely protective of their younger wrestlers yeah and Big promotion that I've heard of that's had children come in as wrestlers the people running the promotions especially the 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 senior wrestlers are fiercely protective of them. So I don't think anything happens to them because, I mean, do you want to face Jaguar Dakota in a back alley? I don't. No. <laughs> no, no, no. But with, uh, see, with what DDT and their, their little initiative here, and they, they, they had these two young kids kind of be in this 10-man tag. They're, they're, uh, they're in a very protected environment. They're not, like, being put in main events or anything. Uh, they're not being put in like story programs. They're just in a fun match like this, and they'll just come in for like w- these one or two shows, kind of like your opener in Ice Ribbon, with uh with some yeah, wrestling circle talent. exhibition yeah, matches, exactly. exhibition matches. Get them used to performing in front of a crowd. Yes. Which I'll say this to use your example of sports stuff. Uh, if I can go and play baseball at sixteen and get recruitment offers from colleges. And I don't see the problem here. Also, in Japan, a lot of these people view this as uh, extracurricular activities because they have basketball and sports clubs over there, and this is just an extension of that to them. Right. Yeah. So it's never. It's not seen any different than being part of the swim team or being part of the basketball club. Like it's not seen as any different. It's just an after-school activity. That's how the schools see it. It's how parents see it. That's how society over there sees it. So it's no different. Yeah. Uh, t- to me, to me, it's. Uh... If someone opens like a judo school and there there's kids learning judo, it's kind of it's kind of that same mindset with me. Like background checks, uh, uh protective environment. Like you don't want to send your kid to 
a back alley <laughs> with Jaguar Yakota learning <laughs> judo. I don't know why we're using her I mean, as an example. Listen, listen, I trust Jaguar Yakota because if someone touches the kid, I don't know why. I don't know why them. that scenario is super funny and why we're using it, but we're going with it. <laughs> well, because Yakota's got a very imposing figure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're spending a lot of time on that. Uh, there was a Dino Honda match in which the refs broke down and ended up joining. Uh, the teams and fighting against each other. Kay, I thought this was hilarious. Of course, it's Dino. It's, he's an artist. Duh. But the, but it was it was uh uh one of the refs. I I forget the two refs' names. But uh, you had the you have the main ref who's just excellent at doing it. God, I, his name's really slipping. I'm sorry. I apologize. But he's like making the motions. He's gonna break this other ref in half. He's being the heel. He's putting the boots to him. Uh, he does like the long. He's going to get him for, like, a brain buster, and he does, like, the long Undertaker throat slit. It just goes on forever, and then he just gets... He actually... Like, they actually did some pretty good shit. It was, it was quite fun. <laughs> it was a very fun match, and like I said, Dino's an artist. You see that the, the mat is his canvas, and the, the wrestlers involved are but paint for him. Uh, well, the refs were uh, uh, quite the colors he chose for this palette. <laughs> Uh, they're like harsh pastels. He harsh prefers pastels. To, to draw something a little more, a little bit more popping and, and harsh. Oh, I love it. Hardcore tag team match: Chris Brooks and June Kasai in DDT. This works way better than I could have imagined. Defeat thirty-seven Kamina, Mao and Shun. Fourteen minutes. K. This was amazing. I was so entertained. Jun Kasai is fucking nuts. He needs how, to stay how in, women in Japan. How women in Japan find him attractive is so uh, scary and shocking. Why? He's a handsome, he's a handsome <laughs> man. What's the problem? That man's face has been through the blender at least six times. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a, he's a, he's a perfect example of what a man should be. Both physically and appearance. Suit. Is it, is it bad that I saw a picture of him in, like, in, a, in like an actual like suit, like a business suit, and thought, man, that doesn't fit. <laughs> Take the shirt off, man. You're wearing the wrong clothes. You're wearing too many clothes. You need to have like your shirt off and scars on your back. Okay, Shun in this match was psychotic. The guy... Yeah, look, he was nuts. He was great. fucking Legos everywhere, and he takes his boots off. She yeah, he took his boots off and walks into Legos. <laughs> like, good God, you ever step on one of them Brave in the middle man. of the night? Oh my God, this dude This dude did a moonsault and landed on his feet on the Legos. Are you kidding me? He's a brave, brave man. <laughs> like, Junji Gasai, I think, was going to join him in taking off the boots, but he, like, couldn't get his boots off. So they just said, fuck it. <laughs> I think that's what happened. It's like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, or Junji Gasai <laughs> was like, I'm not funnier. fucking doing that. <laughs> See, I think that's funnier. I think he was going to join him, but then pretends like his boots couldn't come off, so he didn't have to join him. <laughs> he doesn't want to give up the tough man act, but he secretly is afraid of Legos, and they hurt his feet. Yeah, this gets uh, this gets two out of three uh, recommendation just easily. I, I adored this. This was tons of fun. Clear tubs. Dude, I don't know what's more of a satisfying sound, going through a nice crisp table or going through these plastic tubs. The plastic tubs and Mao, that, that, that's like his thing. Uh, that's a, also a DDT thing, but Mao just absolutely loves just doing wacky he things with these so tubs. so many of them. He yeah. went through so many of them. He hit people with so many of them. At the end of it, I was like, man, did he just like clear up the, the entire Sam's Club or Costco, whatever the fuck they have over there, of tubs? It's wacky. 
Yeah, definitely recommend this match. Damnation, it's a trios match, six-man titles. Uh, Damnation against Eruption. Uh, this whole match was built around Yuji Hino and Saki Akai. And God bless you, Saki Akai. I salute you. So what do you, what do you salute her for? Well, she challenged Yuji Hino because he's a big, thick man. And she he wanted did. to take his best shots. Yuji Hino avoided her, thinking she wasn't good enough. And she kept challenging him. Eventually, well, he accepted. And Saki Akai, there, there was a good, there was a couple good moments for Saki Akai. She did her, uh, she did her, um, like, left, right, left, right, left, right situation to Hino. She had him shook for a little bit. Uh, hit him with some good kicks. But uh, the, 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 big, the big, thick boy over there in Yuji Hino was, was, uh, turned out to be too much for Saki Akai because the crowd, like, really got into Saki Akai, like, taking these chops, and she's fighting back, showing that fire. The woman stands up to the man. She can take whatever he dishes out. I don't, I, I don't know why I find, like, intergender stuff like this so endearing that it, it's just a good... To me, it's a good sense of equality. But I can see, understand it. I, make, this. I, I can understand was... why like people see it and they're uncomfortable. Like I, I can't take that away from them. There's certain times where it is. Like I think the Minoru Suzuki Kana one is still very uncomfortable to me. Goes a uh, little. Yeah, Kana there's a line. There's a line you should ask for it. She asked for it and wanted him to do all that, but it still doesn't make me any less uncomfortable watching it. I'll say with this. Uh, see, this is how you interpret Saki Akai doing this. I interpret this as the fool trying to challenge the bigger, better, tougher person. <laughs> and then and he, and he was trying to spare her of the misery and pain that would be inflicted upon her. She kept goading him. And eventually, she realized the error of her ways as he beat the fuck out of her. That, uh, that's she definitely one way to look at, look at the error <laughs> of her decision. <laughs> But uh, I also like to look at this as the very big difference between Saki Akai and Saki Sama. Uh, the fans don't boo Saki Sama because they just don't care, but they love babyface Saki Akai. They just get right behind her super easy, super fast. I think she's a better babyface than she's a heel. I think it's time to retire the Saki Sama character. Yuji Hino ends up pinning Saki Akai with the fucking bomb. Beats the hell out of her. Sure did. Short match. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. Daisuke Sasaki defeats Yuki Ueno for the Universal title. 17 minutes, 20 seconds. K, I didn't like this match very much. This match sucks, man. I was so excited because, you know, listen, I think I like the concept of Sasaki more than I like his matches. I mean, I that's like fair. Sasaki with a beard in his head more than I like him actually doing his wrestling stuff because I don't think I've seen a very a Sasaki match I've liked. I mean, there's the Sasaki Endo match from last year I, I really enjoyed. I, I thought I remember I think I remember thinking that was just okay. I don't think I was as into it as you were. <sighs> I, pro- think, I think Sasaki's very mid. He's mid. Oh no. <laughs> don't you don't bring that term <laughs> term here. No, I I like I like Sasaki. The problem the problem here so he's been doing this like heavy heel shtick. Uh he did it in King of DDT. Uh he's continuing it here, and it's with Mad Polly on the outside. Like if it was planned interference. Right, like trying to pick your spots, best time to take over. You know what a heel manager and heel stick should be. It's tried and true formula. That's not what they did here. Right. This was just straight up Dick Togo and evil no. situation. It very much was, and I was getting flashbacks, non-flashbacks to that Naito match that I you made me watch. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, okay, I apologize for that. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. <laughs> or at least the first time. I could never say. <laughs> I didn't know the first time. <laughs> yeah, the I, time I, I knew. I, I knew the second, the second third time. time. I was just asking for it. <laughs> the second time, I think we were just asking for it. Yeah. Well, it's almost immediately. Mad Polly uh, is just taking the ref, and he's just like having a conversation with him, and the ref will turn around. Uh, and Sasaki's like blatantly cheating in front of him. Uh, vice versa, Sasaki has the ref, and he'll blatantly turn around, and Mad Polly's beating the shit out of Ueno. Like, it was just a whole match like this. It was just so... It was too much. It was just way too much. It was exactly the problem that Evil and Dick Togo has, and Gato, and all this bullshit. It... it, it and Which sucks. It, it really sucks, because Ueno did, like, one of the best juice jobs of the year. He was bleeding all over the place. He was fucking just crimson mask it was awesome they did like some cool shit in the match that kept pulling me back in and inevitably i would always be pulled right back out because of just the constant shittery that was going on just roll my eyes over and over again they lost me lost me five minutes in they kept because there was uh, the first five minutes was nothing but mad polly just being there on the apron and getting involved and I just, first off, Mad Pauly, of all people, I guess it could be, I, I've only ever seen him in comedy matches, but I don't take him as a big brute, as as much as I take him as the big goof brute. He is a so goof brute. So taking him as, as like a heel manager, seriously, I can't do that. Right? It's a Mr. Interference guy. No, he's like the goof that would fall into the ring before he interferes. Yeah. Um. So I, did, I, I really can't buy him being this heel manager kind of guy on the outside. Uh, and then how much it happened, especially so quickly in the match. I was like, yep, yeah, this match sucks. I'll, I'll check back in when the finish happens. Yeah, me, I mean, there was I a... Don't I, mean, like these, I don't like these matches. No. The coolest spot in the match was definitely Sasaki doing an elbow drop over the guardrail onto a table that didn't break. <laughs> that was the coolest thing that in the match. That table did not break. No, nah, it went to business for itself. So Sasaki's universal champion. Very bummer way for Ueno to lose the title in a stinker. Uh, oh, well. But the main event... 24 minutes, 43 seconds. Takeshita is your new KOD champion, defeating June Akiyama. Kay, give me your thoughts. I, so I remember you were building this up for me, right? You were telling me this is the story. This was like months and months ago, I think you had mentioned. This, you like, this, this goes back to like about. last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember for the past couple of months, you've definitely been kind of calling your shots on it. And you were right. You called it. It's uh, it's. I thought this match was good. I thought it built well. The fucking knee spots, right? Where they both were hitting each other with each other's knees constantly. Popping back up and doing a move. Popping back up and doing another move. Uh, I think you would told it as akin to King's Road style. But I don't think they had the time to do a you know, full no. King's Road layout. No. So they. So you could tell. Yeah, they they had the structure. But they didn't have the kind of time in between where it would build. Right. So, so I think, very. I think it did good for not doing that too. I think it was. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I think I actually like this structure more than if they would have went to that tried and true Kings Road style, because I thought that was the story that they're going to. Takeshita has this new submission, very much reminiscent of the face lock that Misawa would do, and you know, on these retro journeys that I've been doing, see all these Misawa matches, they always end up with someone hits a a crazy like apron spot or exposed floor like heavy move on the outside and that's Masawa's cue for a slow comeback 
we'll do it'll be like a five minute beatdown because that the, the damage he took. Then it'll be like a minute where you'll get a couple moves in and they get shut down. And it's another five minutes. So, that, you know, there's 10 minutes right there. So we're talking about like a 35 minute match. They did. Yeah. I like, almost I like all of that a lot better though. here because Akiyama does a wicked apron bump to Takeshita. So Takeshita's now out. And here I'm thinking, oh my God, they're going to do it. And for the most part, they stuck to that entire style instead of just a 10-minute beatdown with a small hope spot in between before Takeshita took over. It was only a three-minute beatdown, and Takeshita then ramped it up and came back, and then it went to 50-50. So for 15 minutes of this 25-minute match, it was just back-and-forth bomb-throwing with just knee strikes, basically, and I definitely like this more. Yeah, I think I I tend it more to uh, like a, a flame, right? It starts off really like red hot, and then as it's going to these these spots, right? These not cooldown spots, but where it would be in a normal King's Road structure match with the time and everything. It's kind of like just a, a very uh, high simmering flame, and then it just keeps spiking back up. So the momentum continues, the intensity continues throughout the entire match. There's not a single down moment in this match. Yeah, and that's another and reason I why I liked, liked it, it so much. That. Yeah, it kept the, my attention. And I think had they stopped and, and had any like spots where both of them are knocked down for an extended period of time or uh, a spot where they're holding each other, I think it would have taken me out more. I don't think I'd have liked it as much as they had done that. And there were just excellent callbacks to so many of their, their, their matches and feuds, how Akiyama has made this dude tap out. Well, what's Takeshi going to do in this match? Made him fucking tap out. Akiyama, I think, is like 3-0 and against Takeshi, and he's going in for the title after winning KOD. Uh, uh, Akiyama has knocked him out before. Well, Takeshita kicks out of that move prior. Just very simple storytelling and just the journey getting here. Like, this is a three out of three recommendation for me. And I love the journey that we went on. And this was, I mean, let's face it. This is Akiyama pulled off a title reign that everyone wishes Keiji Muto had in Noah. Like, this yeah. is what everyone expected. Muto was going to do, but you got it with Akiyama and Takeshita. And now Takeshita's the double champion. It's awesome. Now he's got two titles to defend. I'm all for I'm all for every once in a while you got your top guy being the top guy, right? <laughs> I know. So, so, uh, there's, there are times where the build to it excuse me, and everything makes it make a lot of sense. I think this is better than the Yamashita stuff, or better than the Keiji Muto, or whoever the fuck's the champion now stuff. Oh yeah, I agree, absolutely. This was built. This was built towards. They they made a a, cl- a clear plan from last year, like you had said, to get to this spot. And I like seeing these plans executed well. It makes you feel like the, the promotion knows what it's doing, and you put faith in their booking more and more. I always like when promotions, when I'm allowed to just not worry about the direction, I could put my faith in whatever the what the booker is doing because I know that they're always going to deliver. Yeah, and there was no shitty swerves along the way. They kept they kept Akiyama really strong with credible opponents in between. We got to see a hard-hitting Higuchi match, which was excellent, I thought. And the wacky comedy just nonsense that was the Dino match, two completely different things. Art. And all while along the way, Takeshita is he, like he brought he like all out was disbanded his his group he formed a new one with uh, 37 Kamina won the tag titles got under Akiyama's skin there 
Uh, he went on a, uh, a month excursion to go to his uh, his teacher, Kenny Omega, essentially. Cause was it, it a month? Because he didn't have. I don't it was think a he month. Had a, a month's worth of matches. That's for sure. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a. It was a month. He was. He was gone from DDT for a month. They played that into a story where he went on excursion to learn a bigger style and a new move. Well, what happened? He came back and he had the. He had the uh, the straight jacket suplex that won him KOD or the King of DDT tournament against the the big Yuji Hino opponent, and he had that going into the Akiyama match. Like the story of Takeshita clawing back to get back to Akiyama and Akiyama being a, a, a dominant veteran champion. Uh, I Like, hey, if, if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is on a, uh, like a five-star scale that everyone likes to go, this is four and a half stars to me. I think it's the best DDT match of the year. The story really brought it together. Uh, just everything along the way, I have just absolutely enjoyed with, with Takeshita. Uh, number one DDT match of the year. I put it over the DDT final. I put it over the Hiroshima cyber fight uh, match with uh, with Akiyama there. I loved all this. This was great. This is so satisfying. I, I like at the end of it, I had fun. The big baby face won. The veteran lost finally. Uh, the young guy, twenty five years old, wins. He's standing tall. Big smiles all around. I'm I'm a satisfied fan. And that's I like I said I always like when promotions make me feel that way. Now, granted, I don't feel it the same direction that you do because you have been so invested in this story. But I'll hold my breath and wait for when my story, the one that I'm so invested in, plays out. <laughs> the one of two, the one of two that might play out this year. Oh uh, boy! But I, I, I assure you, if both do, I will be crying tears of joy. I, I, I like you have never seen. Like, man, I'm looking, I'm looking at what I'm considering like a match of the year candidate. And this hasn't re this didn't reach the high, high peaks, say the Kobe world matches from Dragon Game Met, the, the stardom ice ribbon, and even, uh, even a TJPW match, a couple of them there, but this is right like on that next tier for me because it was just such a satisfying uh storied ending and a, and a and a phenomenal match to end it all so if i'm like putting a top 10 together this is making it's not making the top five but it's in the top 10 know what i mean yeah yeah just when it comes to the men this year i think i have a hard time thinking of a match of the year because i don't think enough of them left enough of an impact on me that oh, makes that's a any bummer. sense. So where would this where would I this stand I... with you? Uh, you're, very, it... you're vaguely familiar with the story. You've seen the journey. Right, right. And I, I invest a lot in stories, so it would have to be somewhere at least in the top five for me. Dragon Gate would be up there too. I'd have to really think I think this year. For a more men's than match ever, specifically, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the okay. men's matches. I think this year. I'm going to have to, when we get closer to the end of the year, I'm going to have to go back and look at my list and maybe look at your list for things that I might have forgotten to put on my list and really go back and rewatch some things. I mean, because I'm not going to make a, any bones about it. I'm much more invested in women's wrestling, so that usually sticks with me a lot more. Sure. Uh, but I do like these men, some of these men's promotions, so like Dragon Gate and, and I like what DDT's doing right now with some of this stuff, But and I, I'm enjoying AEW when it's not pissing me off. <laughs> um, but it's it's... 
it's I have a hard time sticking more with men's wrestling. I think this is how my brain works, what I'm more invested in. Well, I fair. definitely like this match. I definitely like this match. It doesn't take anything away from this. I just don't know where I'd put it. I'd have to go back and definitely rewatch a lot of things. Because I already know what match of the year list is going to be for the women already. They already have at least a top five vaguely done. At least a top two. Yeah, I have to look at mine a little bit more. Uh, I got a little project in my head I, I want to do. Uh, considering all the retro stuff uh, we've watched. That's not a hint, hint. Might might be doing Tip, something. nudge, nudge. Yeah, in the background. But that was DDT. I, I really enjoyed Peter Pan. Outside the Universal title match, that was just kind of a bummer with uh, uh, match structure. But uh, when that's the only miss on the show, I, I vastly enjoyed this. this it, was, it was good stuff. Uh, good from DDT. I hope they, uh, I hope they fucking capitalize. They follow up accordingly. Assholes. <laughs> it wasn't the promotions this year not doing that. I don't, I don't know, man. I said, but I expect to have the wind down off Yokohama because that's what they do every year. Now, they couldn't do Ueno this year. Uh, they just weren't allowed to. And I think with the new restrictions... Well, no, even Ice Ribbon coming out of, cor- yeah. uh, out of um, Yokohama, they they had a they have a title match set up. So they're not spinning. Yeah, they they're not they spinning they set up on the Yokohama show. Yeah, they're not spinning their wheels. Right. They even had a small tournament decide who goes to CMLO. It wants not on fire, hopefully. Yeah, right. Okay, that does it for the men. Get into that, Joshi. All right, everybody. That'll do it for this part one of the of the Redley Frederickcast episode here. Uh, the reason for this is so much news and so much wrestling came out in the last two weeks, and really wanted to dedicate enough uh, talking time uh, to what's to come. Uh, the men took almost three hours just by itself, and considering. Kay and I have already recorded the retro, which generally goes our usual hour and a half with all that all. Uh, We still have the women to record, and there's so much to cover with news from Stardom covering two big Ice Ribbon shows. And we brought back Robbie for TJPW from the Crash Rabbit podcast, and we we spent almost an hour on TJPW. Uh, If we were to add (laughs) all of what's anticipated uh, from that side of the podcast, that we're looking at like a six to seven hour Uh, in total time so i hope you enjoyed this early release for the first half of this podcast episode for episode uh was 88 i guess yeah uh i will play some nice little outro music and i hope to uh, have you guys listening to part two when that comes out in a couple days